0: And Welcome back to another episode of We're
1: Watching Star Trek The Original Series. As always, I'm Brandon, here with Paul. Yo, yo, what's up, people? Uh, You know how we do. We're here again to do what we do, so uh, let's get it. Let's go.
0: And also here to do what he does is Dan.
1: Yep, uh, let's get this one started.
0: All right, super quick and short. I like it. Uh, Twitter at WWST underscore podcast. Merch link, you know where that is. Uh, The show we're watching is still Star Trek The Original Series, hence the introduction. And we're on season two, episode twenty four, the ultimate computer. Which I thought my computer was the ultimate computer, but it turns out it is not.
2: <laughs> You're you know, wrong. I,
1: I swear I thought it said Conqueror. I never even read it that close. I thought Ultimate Conqueror. I was like, okay. And then like this whole time I thought it was Conquer. I know it's now you said computer. I'm like, oh, it's computer, duh. I didn't read the fine details, apparently. I mean, hey, if they give if they would have let it go, then probably
0: eventually, yes. I, I think it kinda I works, right? The, the ultimate conqueror, of itself, that kinda, then, I
1: guess I guess yeah. it kinda works.
0: The Ultimate Computer probably could have become the Ultimate Conqueror had they not stopped it. Exactly. Uh, Spoiler alert, they stopped it. Um, Original air date for this, March 8th, 1968. Again, according to Paramount, other sources say other things. I trust Paramount because they made the show. Um, we're gonna start it with the Enterprise. They are approaching a space station, and Sulu announces that they're assuming a standard orbit. And this was the worst looking CG that I have seen in the remaster so far. I let it go.
1: It was. It was. Like, it, it was. So quick. That station looked terrible. It was so. It was like. It was like it was like two seconds. I was like, that was a waste. Yeah.
0: It was really was a waste. Yeah. Like, it's acceptable, but it looks like a PlayStation
1: well, One. No, no, game. Not, they, it, they had to show you something. It's not that acceptable. It's the fact that they didn't need it at all. They could have just skipped no. that that little two seconds and just went ahead. Like, why did they even do it? Like, like, yeah. why wouldn't he well, insert the old, like, random old school? One? I don't know. I just think it's a waste of time. Well,
2: seeing as they went to a space station earlier in the season and it looked pretty good. Like, they could have just used, like, that footage again. And like, this is a different one. Well, they didn't, right. they didn't have to show it known. at all. Yeah. They could
1: have just said it and we could have just knew they were there. That would have been fine, too.
0: Uh, like, I wouldn't have believed them. Like, we're approaching the space station. <laughs> oh, like, no, no, I don't believe kid. it unless show I see me, it. Show it. me the space station.
1: <laughs>
2: Where's the station? They're yeah. really just flying into a star. How dare you
1: not show me?
0: <laughs> uh, my favorite part about the intro, too, though, is that before everything kicks off, because, like, Kirk's going to tell Ahura to contact the station. But, like, as just before this happened, some guy apparently named Lester comes up to Kirk and he's got like a little data pad or something and Kirk just waves him off he's like I don't have time for this <laughs> he's like we don't have like I don't I don't have time for this right now and Lester looks like super defeated and he walks away <laughs> I was like man like what is that about my like, job I'm a dick, man. yeah you're just he's just approaching a station it's not that big a deal sign the thing
2: look they laid the ground seeds of him becoming a future villain down the line
0: <laughs> <laughs> just just with that little wave of it Kirk doesn't have time for me I'll make him make time for me <laughs> I'll make the whole ship make time for me it was just really like uncharacteristic and weird it's just I don't have time for this if he would have been an attractive woman
2: yeah,
0: if you're going to hand something to him you better be a blonde attractive woman oh, I like that yeah Kirk tells Uhura to contact the station and she says that the station is calling them dun 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 he tells her to put them on, and Commodore Enright greets Kirk. And Kirk is just immediately angry, and he says that he wants an explanation. But Enright cuts him off and says that the explanation is beaming aboard now and may already be in the transporter room. Like, first of all, how you just get somebody beamed aboard your ship without you knowing? Like, I feel like the transporter room would be I, like, hey, somebody's trying to beam aboard
2: I right wonder that, too, and I wonder if it's just not like uh, like a Federation. Uh, since it's part of the Federation, you're just like, oh, hey, we have... Your codes or whatever, so we can just kind of beam aboard whenever. Which is wild.
0: Yeah, but I feel like somebody should still know. Well, yeah. oh, I... I <laughs> know. Like I, 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 what I, if they I, get noticed really in the that. transfer your room? <laughs> He's just hanging out, and suddenly somebody's in there. It's like if somebody just walked into your house right now. He
1: said explanation <laughs> right? beaming over. I thought maybe it was like a mach- like some kind of item, but it was a person. Well, and yeah. I was like, oh, okay. I...
2: I, I he also knew that Kirk's security guards are garbage, so he's like, "I can just go over there anyway. No one's gonna be able to stop me." Yeah,
1: but <laughs> it also shows you how these Commodores are, bro. These, this is these Commodores are wild, man. The, their attitudes are yeah. are extra. So this guy actually seemed a little more respectful than the rest of them. Like every every everyone we met the whole whole show's been kind of crappy. So I'm gonna send the guys to you right now. Like, okay, but you let me know what's going on, yeah. like.
0: Should have beamed him to the bridge, just have <laughs> I mean, him like, beam in, sitting I mean, in Kirk's chair. That's pretty much what a
1: Commodore would do, just like, Yo, I'm here, I'm taking over. Like, okay.
0: Uh, but Kirk hangs up, and he goes running out of the room, and he calls for Spock to follow him. And they go to the transporter room, and a guy is beaming aboard as Kirk and Spock are walking in. And Kirk knows him, and he's like, oh, that's Bob. And he introduces him to Spock, and his name is Commodore Wesley. So Kirk uh, excuses
2: the ensign oh, at the console because apparently he's not good enough. Kirk should have said, shut up, Wesley that's i guess that's a yeah. joke from the uh, next generation um i
0: i don't know i mean i know who wesley is isn't he a kid yeah yeah, yeah okay i thought so <laughs> okay yeah i know who that is uh god what's the guy's name will wheaton yeah, yeah. Yep. place him okay okay will wheaton yeah hard to say uh but yeah kirk excuses the ensign that's at the console he's just kind of like hey you're not good enough to hang out and listen to this conversation so you need to get lost and uh, then he goes to Wesley and he looks for an explanation as to why he was ordered to go to the station without being given a reason and why his men will be moved to a security holding area in the same space station. And Wesley says that Kirk has had a singular honor conferred to him and he'll be the fox in the hunt. And uh, Kirk doesn't understand. And Wesley's like, it's war games. And I'm like, I am here for that. Like, I <laughs> want to see some ship on ship war games. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> he says that uh, he's going to be commanding the attack force against Kirk and Kirk's a little bit skeptical. He's like, uh, you're gonna have like an entire attack force against just my ship. And Commodore Wesley asks if he he has heard of the M five multitronic unit. And immediately I went to Beavis and Butthead to America. they're like, <laughs> Does anybody want to see my unit? Oh my Because they say unit a lot in this, and it just it just keeps going up in my head.
1: That movie has ruined that word for I me. haven't seen that movie since I was a kid since it first came out, so I don't remember nothing about it. Well, watch it again. Oh, yeah. It's a classic. All I remember is a Cornholio head head uh, shirt airplane thing or something. I don't really remember, honestly. I don't remember a lot.
0: Yep. He's Cornholio. The great Cornholio. The great Cornholio.
1: I haven't seen that in years. I forgot about the movies. just just now. Uh, So, Kirk says that it's uh,
0: Dr. Richard Daystrom's device, and Spock explains that it's the most ambitious computer complex ever created, and its purpose is to correlate all computer activity aboard a starship to provide the ultimate in vessel operation and control. Wesley asks Spock how he knows so much about it, and Spock's like, I know everything. I'm here for exposition. That's what I do. (laughs) Uh, But Spock reveals that he holds an A7 computer classification, and uh, he's well acquainted with Dr. Daystrom's theories and discoveries. And he says that the basic design of all their ship's computers are Dr. Daystrom's. So Kirk wonders what any of this has to do with the Enterprise, and Wesley explains that the Enterprise has been chosen to test the M5, and that there's going to be a series of routing, research, and contact problems for the M5 to solve, plus navigational maneuvers and the war games problem. And he says that the M5 works under, or if it works under actual conditions, as well as it has in the simulated test, and it's going to be a revolution in space technology as great as the warp drive. So he goes on to explain that uh, once the crew has been removed, the engineering section is going to be modified and they're going to put the computer in. And Kirk's like, well, why are you going to remove my crew? And Wesley's just like, because they're not needed. Like, have you not been listening this whole time? (laughs) This thing's going to take care of everything. So Kirk asks how much uh, security the computer requires. And Wesley's like, none. And Wesley goes on to explain that Dr. Daystrom is going to see to the installation himself and he's going to supervise the tests. And Kirk will receive his orders to proceed on the mission with a crew of 20 people. So Kirk is, like, still not getting it. He's like, well, I can't run a starship with just 20 crew. And Wesley says that the M5 can do it. So Kirk's like, all right, well, what am I supposed to do? And Wesley tells him that he's got a great job. And all he has to do is sit back and let the machine do the work. And then we get the show opening. And this one,
2: it grabbed me immediately. Like I was was pretty into this right Um, away.
1: It's always... Go ahead. No, I was
2: going to say it. It feels relevant kind of today with technology. That, th-
1: that's what I'm about technology. to say. That's what I'm about to say. Like technology yes. replacing humans. It's, it's funny. Like that's been a thing that's been c- continual throughout history where people have thought about being replaced by uh, AI and technology. And now we're in the age right now where it's happening like all the time where, where our jobs are getting replaced by machines and robots everywhere. So I just, I know I find it, I find it interesting that it's just, it's just funny everything if, if about this in the 1960s. that what this one? 19. 19- yeah. I didn't say something about that well, already. With the, and this, not this, to and jump this, ahead. And this is like the really early age of computers too. Like the really uh, really super early age of computers too. So like to think that they thought about it being this advanced and then now the computers are actually so advanced now that you got AI girlfriends and AI is controlling. And you can have a conversation with AI, LI, uh, AI is writing stories and books for you or whatever, things like that. So it's pretty interesting.
2: Well, I, I also liked how jumping just a little bit ahead when uh bones is talking to kirk and bones just kind of lays out like no one cares about technology taking uh, somebody else's job until it comes to you
1: yeah
0: yeah i care about technology taking my job and i would like yeah, it to happen so that i can live my <laughs> life freely and not
3: have oh, to
1: yeah. go to work oh, yeah. every
0: day so
3: can
1: we it's please just, speed you need this need money up? <laughs> man how are you gonna live if technology takes a job i gotta you can pay in, in a world home. where
0: nobody has to work and everything's run by technology we won't need money anymore We'll barter oh, yeah, for then things.
1: How, then how out of shape yeah. is everybody going to be then? <laughs> we will you're, barter. You're going to be like, uh, oh, it's idiocracy? Be it, oh, God. It'll be like idiocracy.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I mean, we're basically there anyway. Have you, have you been in public lately?
1: <laughs> Always.
0: Anyway, uh, we come back to the, from the commercial break. We get a captain's log, and Kirk is just explaining that the M5 has been installed on the ship, and they've left the station for test maneuvers. So Kirk and Spock and McCoy are in the turbo lift, and uh, McCoy is talking about how he doesn't like the situation because he doesn't think that a vessel of that size can be run by one computer. Which I mean, haven't they just had like one computer the whole time? Like I know that it hasn't, like the computer hasn't been running the ship, but I mean it does quite a bit. So it's not like it's that big. Of a yeah, but I it's like, like, but
1: it, I think he's talking about like twenty. He Only has twenty crew. Yeah. He Only has three, three or four hundred. Right. I think it's four hundred yeah, twenty. Yeah, four twenty, four thirty.
0: I think four. Yeah, so I don't remember. four so hundred people leader. are gone.
1: So at least four hundred are gone. Yeah. So that's like trying to do your job. Go to you know go to work one day and you got like five jobs where you work at in your area and then going to work and it's only two two people doing your whole entire. Thing. We but how many people, of those you know, four hundred like so.
0: plus people are actively working at a time? Most of the time they're just hanging
2: out. i do not.
1: Well, they, they, play, I'm not, they, I mean, they I'd imagine
2: like they have shifts because you'd always have to have someone at yeah. the helm and just and, like doing stuff in general. And here's the, m- the issue
0: with the Federation is that they have not looked into making things more lean yet. So I figure you could probably cut that number in half, work the people harder, pay them less, <laughs> and then you don't have to have computers take over.
1: No. So no I'm, I'm going like to restructure that. this. You no, know, I'm going to restructure I, it. I see.
2: Out of the 20 people that were allowed to stay, were any of them custodians? Because you're still going to get dirty yeah. and you're still going to get or the bathrooms clean. Like, the AI is not going to clean that for you.
0: Yeah, the maintenance people. And then if you're going to leave people... Because obviously the ship can't do everything on its own. So if you're going to have people there, you got to have somebody to make food for the people. Although they do have the one things, don't they?
1: Yeah, the, the,
2: the, the things that make food craters. themselves. Yeah. Yeah. But what if, what if that What if that
1: breaks? Yeah, you need somebody there to fix that. And 5 will fix it with this te- technology. And I can repro- reprogram yeah, the, it to do what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I assume they need communications. Yeah. Yeah. They probably need communications. They need a science officer. And they'll probably need a security team because the M5 can't go on the planet himself. Yeah, tw- twenty people right. sounds actually kind of yeah. low
2: for what they're. You could uh,
1: probably you could get the M5 to team up with Nomad, just bring <laughs> Nomad back to the ship, so you have the physical presence as well as just like yeah. the ship. Yeah, you need yeah. physical presence. So, like, I-, I assume that the the ship uh, the people are more for, I don't know, small maintenance issues, and then right. going to on the actual planet. Well, at this point, why don't we just make androids? Well, we tried to give them Android
0: bodies. And we're, we're always going to circle back to this. They didn't want the <laughs> Android bodies. Then the jobs would have been replaced because they would have been the ones replacing themselves. Uh, but Spock says that they are trying to prove that it can run the ship more efficiently than man can. And McCoy doesn't want to be included in that. But Spock says that the most unfortunate lack in computer programming is that there's nothing to replace the starship surgeon. And McCoy is just not amused by that. Uh, So they exit the turbo lift and they're walking through the corridor and McCoy is talking about, uh, he says that if it could replace him, then it wouldn't have to because he would resign because everybody on board would be nothing but circuits and memory banks. And he's like, Spock, you know the type. Uh, But he tries (laughs) to uh, drag Kirk into it by saying that uh, Kirk hasn't had much to say about it. And Kirk asks McCoy, he's like, what do you want me to say? He says that they tell him that the M5 is an honor. And he's, he's sarcastically, he's like, well, I'm honored. Um, and I do want to note that at this point, I am enjoying the way that this episode has been shot so far. Because normally, this conversation would happen in just like a room, like they'd be sitting or standing, and it would just be static shots. But we get shots the of walking. them like walking through the tour, like the corridor, oh. and just talking about yeah. stuff. And it's a really nice change from like the usual sitting uh, filmmaking of a- of each episode, like the usual cinematography
1: of the episode. Yeah, I didn't look at the director of this one at all. I should have looked at the director. I didn't see. It.
0: Yeah. Also, I, I noticed
1: that um, yeah. that when Doc said. Um, what he say? He said there, everybody will be, there will be a, a metal in circuits. So that's not true. There's gonna be twenty people on the ship. Yeah. And <laughs> so so them has to be a doctor. Every, yes. a, there has to be a doctor there because they, they're going to end up going to the island, probably getting hurt. Like that's the thing though. Like I can understand his. He don't like technology anyway. He tell his old personality. Yeah. I can understand his his trepidation. Uh, wow, big word I'm about to use. Can't spell it, but I can say it. I, <laughs> I, I can understand it. At the same time, I'm like, I do get what they're going for and it makes a lot of sense to and then when you learn his motivation later, which I I, I will bring up, like I guess I'll bring it up now, when it's like, yo, he really doesn't want people to die needlessly. Yeah. Like, I can understand like, you know what? The less people on the ship, that's less people that could die in a mishap on the ship. So like in my brain, I'm like, you know what? This AI thing don't sound that bad. Two hundred people per ship. Like, I just I don't know, you know, when it goes wrong, it is what it is. But I just feel like, like the concept behind it actually makes more sense than, than you know. I think that they're even uh, giving a giving a Day point.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, man, if you are on a ship with twenty people or like nineteen other people, I hope you like all of them because that is <laughs> that's a small group of people in <laughs> a lot of time
1: together. Well, I'm assuming that they're really spread out too, because I don't know how big the ship is. Huge. I'm going to assume me at the fuel. I, think, the, I want to say it's, like,
0: bigger than aircraft carrier, from what I remember
1: the last time we looked yeah, into this. Are you even going to see anybody? Unless right. you don't have, like, like a qualified lunch time, just so you can have, you're forced to have lunch together or something like that or something going on. But most times, right. I figure that you may go without really a lot of communication or a lot of uh, no, sorry, face-to-face communication, which ain't, ain't – that's kind of normal now.
0: And you got to figure, it's eventually, like, if – if this was a successful thing and they're like, yeah, well, this is how it's going to be from now on, they would just start making ships smaller, right?
1: Like, do you need a gigantic ship? Right. If you don't need all well, those people well, to run it, unless you want something with big firepower. Power. Yeah. We'll we, we learn we a little bit. The M5 needs a lot of power. But if, yeah. I'm going to assume that they'll need to create a, a a system that's a lot, lot powerful to power uh, make the M5. Because it, when he says later that the M5 is learning, as you learn, it needs more power. So I'm assuming they got to come up with a way to uh, keep uh, do but power for the. You the could power. put a big engine on a little
0: ship. Like, I've seen a jet engine on a semi before. So, I mean, we could do it.
2: Yeah. I, I will say, imagine being the crew not having anything to do day after day.
1: Like, yeah. you, you, like they, they got gyms in there, they got bowling alleys, they got a. Uh, well, well, they wouldn't anymore. Awesome stuff. I'm saying, if, if you want to, if, you, if the ship of 20, you still want to keep entertaining, you know, you got the bowling alley, you got the workout area, you got the fighting area. You got the cafeteria. I don't know. You got tons of place things to do stuff. Yeah, just like bring
0: your PlayStation or something.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly what I do on every trip.
0: Yeah, I finally get time to platinum all those games. (laughs) Catch up on my backlog from the PS One. Meanwhile, I'm like the PlayStation 638. (laughs) Uh, so they enter the engineering section, and Kirk approaches Scotty to ask uh, where Doctor Daystrom is, and Scotty calls to Daystrom, who comes up
1: from behind a panel. And he is tall, bro. Yeah, he oh, yeah. Is. He is so tall. I'm like, yo, this dude is tall. I, and then I looked up on the X-ray. It showed that a guy six five. It actually said height on the thing. Oh wow. The dude, the dude, I, the dude is six five. So I'm like, oh, he's. Re-. I knew he was tall just by the angle of the shot. But like, man, he's really tall.
2: Well, I was trying to figure out when how know how tall he was. I'm like, is this a human or is this? Like, a humanoid-looking
1: Oh, okay. like is he his height yeah. was
2: just massive. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Big dude, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but Kirk and the others go over to him, and they go through their introductions real quick, and Daystrom says that he's finished tests on M5, and it has to be hooked into the main power plants in order to be operative. And Kirk's like, okay, go ahead and do it. And Daystrom says that the engineer wouldn't allow him the necessary power without Kirk's orders, so Kirk tells Scotty to hook the unit into the ship's main power bank. And uh, Scotty gets to work while Spock is just, like, gushing about this computer and talking about how it has potential beyond anything Daystrom's ever done. And even Daystrom's breakthrough in Duotronics didn't have this much promise. And uh, Dr. Daystrom says that the M5 has been perfected and its potential is a fact. McCoy says that the only fact that he's concerned about is that if the M5 doesn't work, there aren't enough men aboard the ship to run it, which is a really good point. I feel like they uh, probably should have had a few more people there. Daystrom asks Kirk, he's like, who is this guy who's talking to me like this? And Kirk says that he's a senior medical officer. And Daystrom's like, oh, well, we're in a security area. Like, you shouldn't be here. And Kirk says that McCoy has clearance throughout the ship. And why wouldn't he? Can you imagine they paged McCoy? And he's like, hey, so there's been an accident in engineering. Somebody's dying. You need to get here now. And he's like, sorry, I can't. I don't have clearance hey. to be in there. Like, why <laughs> wouldn't
1: be well, allowed I'll to go be, everywhere? Be. Well, I think that technically, if he only gets clearance when there's a the medical issue to enter that area, that would make more sense. Actually, I agree with Doc. The, I agree with the uh, the scientist guy this time. No, he can go. I everywhere know we don't do that, but, but if I'll, there's I'll, no I'll, medical I'll, issue, you don't belong in here. This not. It's ain't Kirk, a medical issue. We don't. Kirk we don't can just look
2: over and like, yeah, he's a lot here. Yeah, like he's we, with we, the we,
1: captain. Yeah, <laughs> <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's okay. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Technically, the scientist's right this time. Like, yo, ain't a medical issue here. What you doing here? This is matter. You know, you 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 doctor. You do humans. Let's get out of here. Computer computer talk, sir. Nah,
0: just because he's a doctor doesn't know, I mean he doesn't know anything about computers. Except for this specific <laughs> one does not. <laughs>
3: but, you know, Jason yeah,
1: doesn't know yeah, that. About to say, bro. doesn't know that.
0: He doesn't know him.
1: <laughs> he, he didn't know him. Like, he's the... Okay, even if he was a computer expert on this ship, he is the doctor. Okay, doctors don't belong in this area. This is a security <laughs> area. Okay? They belong wherever Bones. Kirk says they belong. <laughs> no, no, no. Which is why that's, he that's has clearance. No, nah, he ain't got clearance. He, he get a clearance. He has <laughs> clearance. Yeah, I don't uh, know how. He, I don't know why. He, I, I, Kurt probably gave him clearance on the other ships that do things properly. We don't have doctors. On, <laughs> we don't have doctors in the engineering <laughs> area. He's a doctor.
2: Honestly, up to I'm this point, I, honestly, up to this point, I thought everyone had the same clearance. Like everyone just kind of was able to go wherever they wanted to. Yeah,
0: that's what I thought too. Like, why wouldn't you? I imagine there's not a lot of people screwing off in areas they're not supposed
2: to be in. I, like I feel like most people are just there doing their job. Yeah, you, you wouldn't go to the, the you wouldn't go to the uh, anti matter room and like start throwing a football around in there.
1: Yeah, oh, like at work I, I don't go upstairs. Yeah, don't don't, don't go there. in my area, okay? You belong in your area. I belong in my area, okay? <laughs> Stay out of my area, doctor. <laughs> this is this is the this is for science nerd stuff. You do the humans get out of here. Science and medicine go hand
0: in hand. <laughs> oh.
2: yes, yes, yes. Oh, I yes see. they do
0: nah,
1: nah, uh, i'm kicking bones out i'm kicking them out
0: scotty goes and he uh uses this big device on something something and it just starts humming and i really don't know how to explain it any better than that he just like picks up a big <laughs> thing and puts it next to like a big circle on the wall and stuff starts humming like i don't know what these parts are i don't know what they do we never get told that it's just that's what happens but McCoy asks uh, if it's supposed to do that, and Daystrom starts just working on something, and then Spock offers to help him, and Daystrom's like, no, nah, I got this, I don't need your stupid help. And uh, this weird, like, circular screen is uh, shown, It's there's different, like, lighting effects and things on it. And Daystrom says that there's nothing wrong, and he just needs to make a few minor adjustments, and then he gets everything working. So Kirk's like, why is this thing called M5 and not M1, and I would... I had assumed that it's because one through four were not successful, and that's what Daystrom explains. He's like, "Yeah, one through four were not entirely s- successful, but M five is," and he says it's ready to take control of the ship. Yeah, it'd be weird to feel the genius but didn't know how to count. Yeah, he's like, "I'm just going to give it random <laughs> numbers." They actually, this is uh, M six. I have not done one through
1: five. So M one, wait. So M <laughs> one so is the one that con- they have now, right? No, they have M five now, but one through four was No, not I mean completely. like on the ship already before the up the, the upgrade one is M five. Is I the think one on the ship diff- now M one? It's a, no, it's a different system completely. They they said it's like okay, duo, duotronics okay, or okay. something
0: like that. Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. I got confused. I got a little bit confused for a minute. I couldn't remember. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so he created M one through four fail, so he made M five. Okay. Um, but Kirk
0: asks if it's going to have total control of the ship. And Daystrom's like, Yes, that is what it was designed to do. Like, I don't know how you're not picking up on this yet. Like, <laughs> maybe you're just not willing to accept it. But uh, Kirk says that uh, there are certain things that men must do to remain men, and the computer would take that away. Daystrom suggests that there are other things that a man like Kirk might do. And now I'm like, Okay, we're going to go to
2: like a little sexy time here. Like, is that what we're <laughs> heading with this? Well, He's like, Yes, I- I there to do- are I- other things I'm we can like, do. How- how is Kirk supposed to meet all these women if he's not planet hopping? Yeah, it's going to
1: be very difficult. I feel like he can no, still do e- it, though. This is easier now. He's on the <laughs> ship, and the ship's doing his own work. He, he can just do what he wants to do, go play, hey, and he, M- M- fly, part of course, of blah, blah, blah. And he he, can no, He's, words, no. he's, 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 he's and worried then. that they're just going to be like, you know what? We really
2: don't need you anymore, Kirk, so we're just going to put you on a space station. Yeah. And you're not going to be able, <laughs> able to go anywhere. You're, you're going to be at an outpost on matter, the ships only, are only winter to planet. Him. Hey, look, Kirk, Kirk will run through all the women on that space station. He has to move no, around. I'm,
1: yeah. what, what I'm saying, that, what I'm saying this is a space station. Ships come to the space station, space station. Therefore, every time a ship comes, Kirk will get new females.
0: That's true. They'll come That's, in. There, okay. Yeah. In.
1: You see what I'm saying? So he'll
3: just... Yep,
0: that Kirk. is true. Yep. So we solved the problem right there. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Daystrom suggests that Kirk just objects to the possible loss of the prestige and ceremony accorded to a starship captain. And he says that the computer can do Kirk's job without any of that. And Kirk says that Daystrom is going to have to prove it. And then he walks away. As Daystrom says, he's like, that's what we're here for. So uh, Kirk turns back and just kind of glares at him. But he doesn't say anything. He's like, damn, he got me. And McCoy follows him out. But Spock decides
2: he wants to stay and hang out with the computer. Spock's like, I'm a fanboy. Uh... <laughs> like, yeah. You know, we have seeing Spock fanboy over something. Right.
0: I mean, he just hey, he loves like, technology and computers. Yeah, you're and there's there's finally somebody that's taller than him. Is <laughs> someone to literally look up to. <laughs> uh, but in the corridor, McCoy jokes to Kirk about Spock loving the computer, and he says, "Um, oh, looks like the fight, the right one might have finally come along." And Kirk is just visibly upset, and so Bones asks him what's wrong, and Kirk says that he thinks the computer is wrong, but he doesn't know why. And McCoy agrees that replacing men with mindless machines is wrong, but Kirk's like, I don't really mean that, and he says that he's getting a red alert right here, and he like taps the back of his neck, and he says that the M5 is dangerous. He starts to say something, but then he just kind of stops, and he says that only a fool would stand in the way of progress, if this is progress, and he's like, look, McCoy, you have my psychological profiles, and he asks McCoy if McCoy thinks that he's afraid of losing his job to the computer. And so Bones notes, he's like, look, we've all seen the advances of mechanization, and Daystrom did design the computers that run the ship currently. And uh, Kirk points out that it runs them under human control, though. And McCoy says, he's like, look, we're all sorry for the other guy when he loses his job to a machine, but it's different when it comes to your job, and it will always be different. So Kirk wonders uh, if he's just afraid of losing command to a computer, and he says that Daystrom is right and that he could do a lot of other things. And he asks if he's afraid of losing the prestige and power that goes with being a starship captain, and he wonders if that's why he's fighting, and if he's really just that petty. So McCoy tells Kirk that uh, if he has the awareness to ask himself that question, then Kirk doesn't need him to answer for him. And he suggests that he may, should maybe ask James T. Kirk because he's a pretty honest guy. And then uh, Bones walks away. And this is Great conversation. Uh, probably one of my favorite scenes in the, in the entire series so far because, first of all, it's shot really well. You know, we get more moving shots, but we get really, really good dialogue and some actual insight into the inner workings of Kirk. Like, yeah he, you know, we get – we haven't gotten this kind of character development for Kirk, like, basically ever. So you get to kind of peel back, like, the Superman layer and get to see the actual, yeah. like, insecure guy that's in there.
1: Like, it's just a yeah, really well-done like- scene. And then to ask himself, like, am I really petty or am I, like, the I have a bad feeling about this, but is it is it because I don't want it to replace me or is it just because I think this is my, I got a feeling this is going to go wrong. And to ask himself the question, like, it's cool to see it out loud, ask, you know, to, to, to Bones, of course, because, you know, like best friends. Right. You know, and then him, and then Bones be like, you know, you're you, bro. Like, if you feel like something bad is going on, I pretty, I trust you. Like, let's just be cautious.
0: Right. And I imagine it would be tough to lose all that. Like, you have all that power and all that control. Like, for better or worse, like, you're needed all of the time. So, like, yeah. to just not have that anymore and just, like, to go to be a regular guy. Like, you were a starship captain. You were, you know, just jumping around the galaxy, like, killing gods and solving mysteries. And then suddenly you're just, like, a guy. <laughs> you know what
1: I mean? just a regular dude. Yeah. Yeah, man, I, I gotta go, I got to go to work punching him for nine to five. That's not yeah. like, like being a CEO becoming a, be, uh, a
2: 9 to 5 guy well right. all, all, also if he were to quote unquote retire all that stuff that he did accomplish are just now you know glory days where it, like yeah he'll talk about it but it's just it wouldn't be the same as oh is it finding something new right
1: yeah of course
0: Um, and then yeah again like it, it- does deal with current, like, very current issue of automation and, like, AI taking jobs from people, which is funny that, that we're still talking about that considering, you know, they were, I know we touched on this earlier, but they were
1: worried about it so long ago. <laughs> like, it's still a yeah. thing,
0: which yeah, leads me to the believe fact it's that not they thought about issue, it they, they
1: thought about the idea of AI taking over for them already, and then we they thought about the idea of it, and then we're literally dealing with it consistently every day. Right. <laughs> but they, they, they do
2: always kind of touch upon, like, AI becoming, like, self-aware, like, oh, hey, let destroy humanity.
1: Right. That's the only thing we haven't touched yet is the self-aware. I I believe anyway. It happens so we're quick not, in these shows. Yeah. We're not yeah, we're we're getting we're, we're slowly getting there, but we're not to that level yet. We haven't. Well, as far and as that's I something, know, you
2: know, our current uh day is like, oh man, Skynet, that could be a thing one day.
1: This is gonna be a thing sooner or later. We already know that, so
0: Yeah. So we go a little bit later and Kirk's sitting in his uh captain's chair and he's Flipping the switches, and he disengages the M5 computer. And Sulu announces that they're going back to their original course. So Spock notes that the M5 has performed admirably so far, but Kirk points out that it's only made a couple of required course changes and a few simple turns. Uh, turns. And Sulu says that uh, or he says that Sulu and Chekhov could have done that with their eyes closed. Daystrom says that that's the idea; is that they didn't have to do that. And Kirk will find that uh, it isn't necessary for him to regain control after every maneuver so like i guess every time that this thing does anything he like flips it off he's like okay we don't need to do, do that anymore
1: <laughs> turn on like, left click oh. kirk,
0: <laughs> kirk says that his orders regarding or uh, regarding how long the unit is in control is subject to his own interpretation and that he's going to run the ship in his own way so daystrom's like okay like you got me there and then spock approaches kirk and he says that he agrees with daystrom and that with the course information plotted into the M5, it could have brought them there just as easily as the Navigator could, and that it may have been a further demonstration of M5's capability. But Kirk says that Spock seems to be enjoying entrusting himself to a to a computer.
2: It is kind of weird though, from our like, we we ha- it's kind of weird that they did not have already like self-driving spaceships that have like GPS nowhere to go when yeah. we currently have that today. I mean, that's obviously they didn't have that back in the day in the '60s, but. It's just kind of funny that they they don't have, like, a guidance system naturally already.
0: Yeah, somehow they're, like, flying around in space to, like, the edge of the galaxy, but still don't have, like, that level of automated
1: control over things. It's kind of weird. Like, they just missed a step somewhere. Maybe the uh, the concept of something self-driving never even entered their mind because they didn't think it was possible.
0: I feel like it's just, like, like was that, a was necessary anything, step was it anything towards space then? travel. It's like you think? most of the stuff we do in space, I mean, it's not automated, like it's pre-programmed, but you would think that eventually we're going to get to the point where we go, well, what if we just had this thing do it itself and we didn't have to mess with it? Like, I feel okay. like that's you know, like a necessary step for what they're doing. Cause like, right. are you going to send people way out into space first? Or are you going to spend some, or send something unmanned? Oh, that like, I mean. eventually like your, your reach is going to have a limit. Like you the signal range is going to have a limit. You're going to want something that can control itself and then come back and not just like operate on pre-programmed parameters just in case something goes wrong. Like I feel like they would have automated stuff that by
1: then, like they should have something. We have stuff now that uh, sends back radio signals or whatever, but I don't know if it can control its actual self. Right.
0: I'm just saying like eventually you'd want something that can go way out there that can control itself and then come back when it deems it necessary. But I, I don't know. Uh, But uh, Spock says that he's just merely gratified to see Dr. Daystrom's new unit execute everything in such a highly efficient manner. And he says that the M5 is another distinguished triumph for Daystrom's career. Like, he just really, really likes Dr. Daystrom. So Chekhov announces that they're approaching Alpha... uh, I think it was Alpha Karanai. Or Karanai? I don't remember how they pronounce it. Karanai 2. uh, When They have an ETA of 5 minutes. And Daystrom tells Kirk that his orders at this point are not open to interpretation and that he has to commit the M5 to handle its approach and the orbit and then to analyze data regarding landing party recommendations. So Kirk's like, well, I'll make my own recommendation. And Daystrom's like, okay, well, you go ahead and do that if you feel the need to. So Kirk then switches on the M5. And the ship approaches an Earth-like planet, which they find a lot of. And from my understanding, it's not like there are a ton out there and we just happen to keep finding them in this show. Uh, They find an Earth-like planet, and Kirk orders Sulu to assume a standard orbit, and Sulu's like, well, the M5's already calculated and plotted the orbit. So a little bit later, Sulu announces that they've achieved the standard orbit, and Kirk orders a report from Spock, and Spock reports that it's an M-class planet with an oxygen nitrogen atmosphere suitable for human life support. It has two major land masses, a number of islands, and he's getting some life form readings. And then we get a shot of uh deck 4 and suddenly the power just goes out and Scotty's like, "Hey, power's out on deck 4." So Kirk tells him to check it out. And Spock hands uh Kirk a small cartridge, looks like a Game Boy game. <laughs> like, I don't know how, why they're still selling <laughs> that. Yeah, it does look like a things. Game Boy game. <laughs> but he's like, "Here's here's my copy of Pokémon, Kirk, since you're useless, maybe you should play this." <laughs> uh, but uh, he's got yeah, he hands a little cartridge and he says it contains the M5's readout of the planet. And Kirk then makes his recommendation, saying he would send down a general survey party and avoid contact of all intelligent life on the planet's surface, which we know is absolute bullshit. Because every time they go to a planet, they're always contacting everything and everyone there. <laughs> like You would recommend that, but you would not follow it.
2: Like, oh, my bad. We teleported you in the wrong place again. You know, you're right in the middle of the village again. In the middle of the street. Yeah,
0: when was the last about. time they went to a planet and didn't interact with anyone? Never?
1: I thought for a second like an idiot. I was like, yo, uh, never. I did too. Like, I'm like, wait, wait a minute.
2: They've never done that. <laughs> yeah. That'd be an incredibly <laughs> boring I episode. Why do not think about
1: that?
0: Uh, he says
2: that the party
0: would consist of himself, Dr. McCoy, astrobiologist Phillips, geologist Rollins, and Spock. And Then he hands the cartridge to Spock and Daystrom's like, okay, go ahead and play that. Spock plays it, and the M5 says that Alpha Karen I-2 is an M-class planet with an oxygen-nitrogen atmosphere. And Scotty announces then, at this point, that the power on deck 5 is also off. So we go back, and the M5 is recommending the survey party that it consists of Spock, astrobiologist Phillips, and geologist Carstairs. So Kirk notes the difference in landing party personnel, and he says that it's just a matter of judgment. And Spock's like, well, the computer doesn't judge, but it does make uh, logical selections. So Kirk asks why I would pick Carstairs over Rollins. He says Carstairs is an ensign with no experience on his first tour of duty and that Rollins is chief geologist. And it's like, how do any of your people ever get experience if you only send the most experienced people there? It's true. You you can't just always send the chief people like, well, you don't know anything, so you can't go. Well, they're never going to know anything if you don't send them. So maybe send them together. I don't
2: know. Like one guy can learn. On top of it, seeing as like people seem to die all the time on the ship, uh, it'd be nice to have like a backup that knows what he's doing. Yeah.
0: Uh, Daystrom asks Kirk if he's more interested in why the M5 didn't select him and McCoy, but Kirk does not answer at all. And Daystrom's like, well, let's find out anyway. And he asks the M5 to explain the landing party recommendation. And the M5 explains that the landing party requires the direction of a science officer, so that's why Spock is going. And astrobiologist Phillips has surveyed 29 similar planets. And geologist Carstairs served on a merchant marine freighter in the area and once visited the planet on a geology survey for a mining company. And so he does have the necessary experience and he's been to that actual planet before. So Daystrom asks uh, why Kirk and McCoy were not included in the recommendations and the M5 says that they are not essential personnel. And then Kirk just like turns dun, dun, dun. his back to him. He's like, huh, I don't need to listen to this and just like <laughs> turns away.
1: Yeah, but the smug look on Doc's face is like, yeah, yeah you don't got even got him right here. Yeah. Got him again. <laughs> like, it's a smart guy. Got him again. Now now what? Yeah. Uh, I did, Scotty. But I say it all the time. I said all the time how he's non-essential in most of these things. Like, why you you yeah. doing? Like, I mean, for the story plot, he needs to be the guy at the same time. I'm like, why are you? You're the captain. Why you keep always going on everything?
0: Right. Like, you could run things from the ship. Like, you you don't have to go.
1: Delegate. Yeah, you can delegate stuff, so.
0: Why do they not have, like, shoulder-mounted cameras when they go down there and he can just watch stuff on the screen? I don't know.
2: That is a good question because they but hadn't thought to, he, of him in the show. He he wants to be part of the action though. He's he's for that. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah, and you can't get the women when you're staying on the ship. <laughs> That's true. <shrill. laughs> um, Scotty uh, tells Kirk that he's located the source of the power shutdowns, and the M5 is shutting off systems all over the ship. And then uh, we go to commercial break. We come back. Daystrom is scanning the M5 as Kirk tells him or asks him if he's located the malfunction. Daystrom says that it's not a malfunction and that the M5 has been shutting off power to the areas of ship that aren't needed. And he's like, well, decks 4 through 6 are living quarters, right? So they're currently unoccupied and we don't need power there. Spock is examining the computer and he says that he's not familiar with the instruments and uh, Daystrom is using an entirely new type of control mechanism. He says that it appears that the unit is drawing more power than before. Um, Daystrom explains that the unit pulls more power as... The workload increases, just like a human body draws more energy to run than it does to stand still. Spock says that the unit is not a human body, and a computer can process information, but only the information which is put into it. So Kirk argues that while the computer can work faster than a human brain, it can't make a value judgment, and it doesn't have intuition, and it cannot think. But Daystrom just says that the M5 is a revolution in computer science, and he designed duotronic elements using or the, the, the duotronic elements currently being used in the ship, and he knows that they're as archaic as dinosaurs compared to the M5. Then Uhura calls and uh, tells them that their sensors are picking up a vessel parallel, paralleling their course, but it's not identified yet, so Kirk and Spock go up to the bridge. Uh, McCoy is already up there, just hanging out, because he says that the sickbay systems are shut down until the M5 thinks that they need them, basically, and Spock reports that there are now two contacts, one, or two contacts, one of them is on the bow, and one of them is on the stern, and they're 200,000 kilometers and closing. So Kirk asks them to identify the ship, and Chekhov says that the M5 has already identified them as Federation Starships Excalibur and Lexington. And Spock says, hey, he's like, hey, we're not scheduled for war games in this area. And he thinks that maybe it's a surprise attack to test the M5. But you really want to do that? Like, have an unscheduled surprise attack on a computer that's supposed to be, like, running the weapons on your ship? <laughs>
1: I feel like it's hey, not they, a good idea they, they gotta know no nah, it's okay it's a drill you know i think i think it, i think it's more unscheduled just to be like i, th- I think it's more unscheduled just to be a little drill i, I find it okay like an unscheduled test yeah I, I, don't, I don't think that's crazy uh
0: Mahura receives a priority message and kirk has her play it and it's commodore wesley and He's heard saying that they're conducting an unscheduled M5 drill, and he asks the Enterprise to acknowledge, and Kirk tells Ahura to go ahead and acknowledge that, but she says that the M5 has already done it for them. So Kirk orders her to go to Red Alert, but the M5 beats him to it. Uh, he then orders Sulu to set phasers to 1 100th power so that there's no damage potential to the other ships, and Sulu does so. And then they get hit by a phaser blast from one of the other ships. So Sulu calls out the speed increases and all the turning maneuvers that the M5 is making and then the M5 locks phasers and fires at one of the ships and it gets a bunch of hits and then it changes course and then it fires again and increases its speed and fires again and Spock announces that the attacking vessels are moving off. So Chekov then says that they are moving back to their original course and speed. So Kirk asks for a damage report. Spock says that they've taken a minor hit on deflector screen 4 with no damage. And Daystrom asked Kirk if he would agree that it's an impressive display for a machine. And it's insane to me that they're actually, like, legit out here in space just firing lasers at each other for a test. Like, there's so much <laughs> potential for something to go wrong in that. Like, how much do you no, think one of these very, ships very cost?
1: It's a very, very low voltage. It's super low. Yeah, but still. It's like a little nudge. It's like if you're, like, if you're like sparring with somebody, you still throw punches. You don't air punch. With, like, gloves and stuff.
3: Yeah, exactly. The glove, is, the glove
1: is the one hundred of the power. The glove is the <laughs> the is the is the beam that's using light speed. I don't know. I feel I'm like it's an
0: expensive thing to be uh, just firing lasers
1: at each other, even at like that low power, just because you never know. Uh I, I think it's just low power. It's okay. Just like if we're sparring and we're sparring with each other and you get hit in the face and you're like, oh yeah, it, it was a low low tap. It's okay. It's a low tap. But um, Kirk
0: ignores uh, Daystrom, and it's it's hilarious how many times he just like flat out ignores what he says and just like goes to talk to somebody else. But he goes to Spock, and he asks Spock first box evaluation of the M 5s performance so that he can put in a log. And Spock says that the ship reacted more rapidly than a human than human control could have, and the tactics and deployment of weapons indicate an immense sophistication in computer control. So Kirk just assumes that Spock is choosing the machine over man, and he says that it was impressive, and it might even be practical. But Spock says that it might be practical, but it's not desirable. And he says that computers make excellent and efficient servants, but he, he does not wish to serve under them. And he tells Kirk that a starship also runs on loyalty to one man, and nothing can replace it or him.
1: Very good very good line. You see that Spock is still, you know, even though he's r- intrigued by the computer, he's like, dude, you're still my guy. Yeah. Like, all this is real
2: cool, but, like, you're still it. Which
0: I felt so, like I Kirk needed you, that. Like he,
2: he needed Spock to say that at that point.
0: Yeah. Uh, Mahura announces that they've received a message from Commodore Wesley, and then they play it on the screen, and Commodore Wesley just informs him that both ships reported simulated hits in quantity and location that justify awarding the surprise engagement to the Enterprise. And he compliments the M5 unit and Captain Dunsel. And Everybody looks at uh, Kirk, and McCoy's like, who is Dunsel? Like, what, what is who is that? So Kirk uh, doesn't answer him and he just like very slowly walks across the bridge and he goes to the turbo lift
1: and he leaves and he without saying anything like he like, like he got him like he got embarrassed by you yeah. know like he hit like he hit on a girl she's like nah you know uh, we're just friends like oh yeah <laughs> and then like he, he walked off back he he backed up real, real real slowly like oh like, thank this one. just slouching like, down he, the, yeah slouching down mo- like this is the most r- defeated we've ever seen Kirk yeah honestly yeah that is truly that, that's truly what I felt like it, it, it really it really good way of uh, acting it out too like the way he did it cause I was like oh bro like whatever Duncel is I don't know what Duncel is but I know that that was harmful yeah
0: uh So McCoy just keeps asking, like, what Dunsail is, and Spock explains to everybody that Dunsail is a term used by midshipmen at Starfleet Academy, and it refers to a part which serves no useful purpose, which I looked it up, and that is a a real term, but there's no uh, etymology for that, so nobody knows where it came from, but it is something that they, it is an actual term, and I'm just like, man. Why would Wesley just openly insult Kirk like that to his face? I'm like, why did he feel the need Yo, to call
1: him yeah. useless right there? Yeah, it's like, hey, like, definitely, were like, you're useless. Like, like they they're friendly, but they weren't friends. Like, this is something you say, to your boys. You know, yeah. like, I might call one of y'all Dunzel. <laughs> I'd be like, I'd be like, what's up, Dunzel? You know, yeah. you know, like, something like that. But like, to like. I don't know. Like, this, this is a level you cross the level. So, like, we, yeah. we ain't friends like that. Like, there's certain things you can say to friends you can't say to other people. But it didn't this seem like
0: he said it in jest. Like, I think he just seriously called him useless right there. Yeah. And it's like, listen. Yeah.
2: My guy, he's like M5 was so impressive that you're just useless, yeah. <laughs> I'm but he'll let you know, yeah. but he forgets he's also sitting in a
0: captain's chair, so M5's coming for him, too. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> no, he's a Commodore, and
1: technically, Commodore's Commodore, he's a Commodore. <laughs> you know, they do what they do. They, yeah, you know, he'll, go, he'll, he'll just go sit in his
0: do. uh desk, like his office chair on a plane, put find. an
1: M5 in this ship, put an M5 in that ship, yep. <laughs> That's all he's gonna do all day, put M5 in everything.
0: And then they're going to put an M5 into his spot so it can tell people where to put the other m five. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> Way to cut
1: budgets. M5s everywhere.
0: Yeah. So a little bit later, Kirk is in his quarters and he's messing with something that looks like a futuristic Connect 4 game, but he's just playing it by himself. And uh, McCoy walks in and he's holding a little tray. that has got a cloth over it so you can't see what's on the tray. And Kirk says that he's not interested in eating, but Bone says that it's not chicken soup. But chicken soup sounds really good. I haven't had chicken soup in probably like 20 years. Maybe I'll have some chicken soup today. Uh, oh, that's terrible. He uh he says that he may just be a ship's doctor, but he makes a finagle's folly that's known from here to Orion, and he strongly prescribes it. And he pulls the cover off, and there's two glasses filled with like a green liquid.
2: Is that a real drink or is that a made-up drink?
0: I'm gonna say it's probably made up. I didn't look it up, but I'm gonna guess it's made up. But I really like how they stuck with the thing from the um pilot where for some reason the like ships Head doctor is also a guy that just brings you booze when you're feeling down. Like, <laughs> I don't know why I really like that aspect of, of this show. It's just like the doctor is just I'm like this dude is like, hey, you have like, a drink, a, have a drink. Is
1: he a therapist? You think?
0: You think he has he, a he therapist? He seems license? like if he if he doesn't have like a a license to do that, he seems that he's at least like super empathetic and like is just kind of
2: fills yeah. that role anyway. Do, do you think Scotty and him are secret best friends?
1: Oh God. This guy they're always just Bones he's is drinking. always prescribing him drinks. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm gonna assume I'm gonna assume that he, I think you said it right. Their friendship is just he's always I think he he talk, he comes to him in confident confidant, like confidant for for everything. Every kind of thought he has or whatever. they said they have a drink and just talk about it. And he's always the one to listen to him to give him like reasonable answers. Which I, I but I, I but I thought but I was wondering if that was like a best friend thing or like he is a like a licensed therapist and he ca- ha- he's given like her like free therapy. It's probably bold. <laughs> they're both. There talking to each other. Yeah, it's like, not I- a little, little bit curious. of both,
0: yeah. I wonder if this relationship because we've seen it on the two ships or the two crews that we've seen on here now. I wonder if that's a standard relationship on like the other starships like if just for some reason the captain and like obviously like his First mate, so it's probably going to be a science officer, or going to be pretty close. But, like, why would the captain be close with the doctor? Like, I wonder if that's just a standard thing on the ship for some reason. Is that like, like doctor patient
1: just... confidentiality or something? I don't know. Like, if, like doctor patient just... confidentiality well, where he can always come to him and talk to him about things. And, doctor, like, the, the confidentiality, well, I can't talk right in. You know, um, they can't talk, he can't talk about it, so he's able to speak to him freely. Well, if, you, if your doctor's prescribing you booze, like, you're going to get yeah, friends yeah, with You're going to be friends with Anyway. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but it's just like a weird relationship, but I mean, I like it, so.
1: Um, I can't say con- cons- confidentiality. Confidentiality? Oh, wow, I can't say word. Yeah. I can't say it all of a sudden. My, I'm drinking tea right now. my <laughs> you're thinking wet, about it. Just, I, I, I can't get it out right. Yeah, don't think about it. Just do it. Yeah.
0: Um, Kirk takes a glass, and he talks about how he's never felt at odds with a ship before. He talks about how he watched his ship perform for a massive circuits and relays, and he felt just useless and unneeded. So he toasts to Captain Dunsell and he goes to take a drink, but McCoy stops him and he toasts to James T. Kirk, captain of the Enterprise. And I'm like, damn, they like, McCoy really is like that guy. Like he's just yep. like in these moments, he's just like the dude. Like he just gives everybody yeah. exactly what he need. Like he needed that little
2: bit and he needed some booze. And Kirk was there he, with, or McCoy was there with both. You know, you know why Kirk's having such a hard time with this? Because the ship is his actual true love. Yeah. And now yeah. it doesn't listen to him anymore. Yeah, let's He's like, I now. see someone else playing with my ship, and I don't like it.
1: Yeah. Well, I think I think one thing we notice over time is like, if Captain Kirk wasn't a captain of a ship, what would he be doing? Right. <laughs> like, 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 he, like everything about his life is this ship. I can see Spock, you know, because we, we see Spock already be uh, on a different ship already. So I see Spock be able to go do something else, and I can see Doc uh, going to be a doctor. I can't see Captain Kirk going to do anything but what he does now. Yeah, he would have to be
0: like in charge of something somewhere with some measure of danger,
2: like maybe the military or something. Kirk would be the Han Solo of the Star Trek universe. He would be smuggling. (laughs) (laughs) He would have
1: to do something.
0: Um, So they take a drink and Kirk says that it's one of McCoy's better prescriptions. And Kirk asks uh, if McCoy knows the line, all I ask is a tall ship. And Bones is like, oh, I think that's from some very old poem. And Kirk recites it. He says, "All I ask is a tall ship and a star to steer her by." And uh, for some reason, his delivery of this uh, line of this poem reminds me of his Rocket Man performance. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that uh, William uh-huh. Shatner's Rocket Man. Um, I don't he, believe so. Please look that up after this because it's insane. He did like a spoken word version of the song Rocket Man, and uh, okay. I guess. It's so weird. And I guess even for the time, like I thought people were going to be like, wow, that's really good. But I guess even at the time, people were like, what is this? Like, what what are we (laughs) watching? I'm a rock it man. Like, it's just, it's insane. Uh, But yes, please look that up. But uh, he says that uh, back in those days, you could feel the wind at your back and uh, you could hear the sounds of the sea beneath you. And he says that even if you take away the wind and the water, it's still the same and the ship is yours and you can feel it. And the stars are still there. And then uh, again, I have another note that just talks about how I really like the character development that we've get for Kirk. And I wish that we would get more moments of this, of this kind of thing throughout the series, because I think it just makes him a more relatable character and shows that he's not just like a Superman all the time with the answers to literally everything. Like, yep, humanizing your characters is not a bad thing. And I think that that's yeah. what's the one thing that's been sorely lacking from this entire series is making Kirk like a human character. Instead of just like this Some, guy someone, that, someone that, that knows he, everything. Someone that you
2: could relate to almost. Yeah.
0: Like, he's not just like the strong man that does everything right and, you know, always has the answers or knows somebody that has the answers or gets lucked out of everything. Like, sometimes I want my characters to be more like people if they're supposed to be portraying people. Oh, absolutely. I agree. I think it just makes him a lot more likable character. And I, I hope that we get more of this going on. But I like I feel like we're Got not it. going to. Yeah. We're going to get all this nice uh progression from him and then just pretend that it never happened uh but uhura interrupts them and she calls kirk to the bridge and kirk responds and uh spock is up there like on the bridge and he reports that there's another contact it's an unidentified large slow moving vessel and it is not a drill so kirk goes to the bridge and when he gets there uhura reports that there's no response to any of their signals but the m5 has given them an auto relay and Spock says that the M5 has identified the ship as the Woden, listed in Starfleet registry as an old-style ore freighter converted to automation, and it has no crew, and it's coming into their visual range. So, so uh, there's so, already a robot right, ship. So
2: right there, that means they have automatic pilots already. Yeah, because it's already yeah, yeah. that, that, okay. that, that ship's being guided automatically.
0: Yeah, but I imagine it's not to the level of the M5, where like it's probably not being guided by pre-programmed. Coordinates and destinations and all of these things and just executing those maneuvers like our automated stuff at work does. Um, right. But the M5 like has actual control and makes decisions and shoots things. Uh, but they they look at the ship on their screen and Sulu reports that their deflector shields came on and Chekhov announces that their speed is increasing. And Kirk has a horror page daystrom to the bridge. And this happens a few times in this episode and I enjoy it. And I've talked about this before. It doesn't happen a lot. That while things are happening on the bridge, like Uhura is actively paging Daystrom in the background, while Kirk is still doing stuff like in the like her audio is kind of turned down while his is turned up a little bit. And it's nice that things are happening in the background. It's not always you know just whatever's happening on the screen. But Kirk disengages the M5 unit and he orders speed and course changes to uh, give the freighter a little bit more space. But Sulu announces that the ship won't respond and his inputs and. It won't respond to his inputs, and it's maintaining its course. Chekov then announces that they are increasing their speed to warp 4, so Kirk tells Scotty to reverse engines to slow them down, but Scotty says the manual override is not working either. At this point, Daystrom gets to the bridge, and he tells Kirk that the controls are locked, and they can't disengage the computer. Or Kirk tells him that. And Spock announces that the photon torpedoes are locking on target and that they're at full power. So, Kirk goes to the console, and he just starts pressing buttons, and Sulu's like, I, I tried that already. <laughs> like, I don't know if you think I'm dumb and can't press buttons here, but like, this is what I do. Hey, uh, I know you don't like the computer, but, you know, I know how to do my job. Yeah. Uh, but nothing works. And he tells Daystrom to release the computer controls, but it's too late. The Enterprise fires tor- photon torpedoes, and it destroys the Woden. And I was like, damn, I didn't think that they was actually going to do that. Like, I thought that they'd be able to stop at last second, but nope, they just straight up blew up that ship. Uh, Chekhov reports that they're now returning to their original course and speed, and Spock reports that all systems are normal. And uh, McCoy is very, very angry, and he says that the computer is trying to tell them that nothing happened. And Kirk tells Daystrom to disengage the computer now. Daystrom says that there's some sort of defect in the control panel. McCoy points out that the computer went out of its way to destroy the ore freighter, and Daystrom's like, yeah, but fortunately it was just a robot ship. And Kirk says that it shouldn't have destroyed anything at all. And he says that there might just as easily have been a crew on the ship. And McCoy says, in which case Daystrom would be guilty of murder. And if anything, I think it would be uh, manslaughter because I think murder is premeditated or done on purpose, and manslaughter is the accidental one, and that was clearly an accident. Okay. Also, yeah. Also, yep. would he be charged with that if he's not the one in charge of the ship? Like, the ship is in charge of itself. Granted, he made the device, but the Inventors of guns aren't charged with murder every time somebody's killed with one. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. Just not how, that works. How, how, how
2: would that work?
0: Yeah. I, I think he'd be okay. Nah, He's he guilty. I mean, he didn't. With, with the, it's not like he programmed
1: with, it to do that. Eh, he programmed it to defend himself. <laughs> but but if anything, it's manslaughter, I think. No, nah, no, nah, no. Nah, He's guilty. We, we, we put him in jail. <laughs> <laughs> he he gets he get the long goodbye.
0: Yeah. So Kirk interrupts him and, uh, tells Daystrom to disengage the computer and he tells Ahura to contact Starfleet Command and tell them they're breaking the off M5 tests and returning to the space station. And he says that uh, the M5 is out of a job. So they go to engineering and Kirk goes up to the computer and he gets shocked by something and he gets thrown to the ground. And Then they determine that it's a force field. And Daystrom says that, uh, he's like, look, it wasn't me. Like, I, I didn't do that. <laughs> so Kirk notes that the, uh, or Spock notes that the M5 is only capable of taking care of the ship, but it is taking care of itself as well. Is not only capable of taking care of the ship, but taking care of itself as well. So Kirk doesn't uh, think that it's going to let anybody turn it off. And then we go to commercial break from there. Come back to from commercial break with a very short oh, if we, slog. before
1: we continue on. I want to say that uh, I really enjoyed that little uh, effect when he when he got hit by the force field. Oh like yeah, it was real. Like, even I know, did normally noise me because it's so it's so whatever. But this time it was very subtle for a good reason. Like it's like oh he got shocked and he moved on. Like it wasn't really. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't like. Oh my gosh! The, the bright lights. The last like long time ago, we had one with just bright lights in effect or whatever. This is like real subtle. I actually liked it.
0: Yeah, just quick. And flash then also,
1: and... I, I liked when uh, when uh, Kirk gets up, like his hair is kind of messed up, and he looks kind of like, oh man, like it's not gonna let anybody turn it off. Like done, 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 and he realize the stakes have been turned to turned up a little bit more and more. Yeah. Like like if this episode's very uh, directed, very good in a way of like each time. You come back like the like you're a little nervous and worried and the stakes get higher and higher and higher. And then the stakes are finally like at level like nine right now. Yeah, the and pacing of it. Yeah, the very good pacing, yeah. The stakes get higher and higher. Yep. I, yeah. I like it a lot.
0: So yeah, we come back, uh we have a really fast captain's log explaining that the M five is taking control of the ship, and that's literally it. <laughs> that's how he says. Uh <laughs> Kirk asks Daystrom how he's going to turn it off, and Daystrom says that they can expect a few minor difficulties during the trial, but they can be corrected. And Kirk tells him to correct it after he releases control of the ship, but Daystrom says that he just can't. So Scotty suggests disconnecting it at the store, at the source, and Daystrom's like, no, just give me a few more moments with the machine. So Kirk tells Scotty to turn it off. So he and some other guy that are just hanging out there, uh, they grab that <laughs> device from earlier, and they they go for the <laughs> power source. And then uh, the crew oh. member puts a little device up to the round thing again, and the computer shoots a big laser at him and instantly oh, disintegrates him. And goodness, I did not see bro. that it, one coming. And then oh,
1: there was my 19. <laughs> yeah. Yo. Like, he was just I don't gone. even know. I, I just... I... I this this episode is incredible. <laughs> like, who saw that? Who, who saw that coming? Yeah. Like yikes. I was like,
0: uh, what? Not? I thought he was gonna get shocked and like thrown away or something. Not just <laughs> yeah, no, really, not. <laughs> yeah,
1: just removed from existence entirely. Like, like the only death worse that I find this one was the one where they turned the people in the cubes and he crushed yeah. them, that one guy. <laughs> like that's the only death I, I felt more disturbing, like more rough than this one. I was like. He gone. (laughs) He he was just doing his job, just walking up, like, I'll cut it off. He didn't get to, like, you know, it's gone. Yep, just never knew it happened. I mean, I guess that's the best
0: way to go. He just don't know. Yep. So Kirk is understandably upset, and he yells that that was not a minor difficulty. (laughs) You don't say. It wasn't a robot. And he tells Daystrom that the M5 murdered one of his crewmen, and Daystrom is telling him that he can't turn it off. That's Uh, manslaughter. (laughs) <laughs> they says that uh, it wasn't a deliberate act, and the computer's analysis told it that it needed a new power source, and the ensign simply got in the way. Like, damn, that's really cold. <laughs> like a guy's dead. He's like, it hey, got in the way.
1: Like, what do you expect, bro? And like, I guess they see a lot of people die, but a lot of times I don't like their reactions to death. Yeah,
2: like, like oh, oh man,
1: oh look at that. Like, yo, there's not a like. I can see Spock not reacting because he's Spock, but like, like, not like a. A dear God or something, Or like oh my what what just yeah. you know like a like they gotta well, be like a a moment of panic funny people.
2: Well, they like, they've seen so much death yeah. that like they have seen people blow up just by stepping on rocks. Yeah, they're, they're like, desensitized wow. by, like, by this
1: point. You kind of see it. You can kind of see it on their fa- face, but like that initial like, no matter how, how 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 programmed you are, that initial surprise is hard not to like. And then afterwards, yeah. you would you be okay. But the, there's like a split second where you're like, yo, what? In the? And then you would get back in your mind. You know, like, I don't know. I just. I like to think that I, Kirk's, his immediate
0: reaction is always anger. And then I like to believe that later when he's in his quarters, he just sobs uncontrollably. <laughs> like, he, he can't do that in front I'm, of people. But he's he thing to I'm watching
1: it and I'm shocked. <laughs> and I'm watching it and I'm shocked <laughs> so they were there though <laughs> like I'm like yo what what just happened like and like he's sitting there like uh oh you know oh you know like he's just a little too calm for me that's all I'm saying yeah
2: well, 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 maybe a Bones' drink was just that potent yeah, it's just for relaxed. <laughs> oh,
1: okay. Oh, okay. Scotty's always looking. Scotty's always messed up, so I can see Scotty's reaction. Okay, There oh, we go. Okay,
2: cool. Everybody boy has un- seen that before. He doesn't. doesn't okay. Face Scott, well, Scotty was like, "Am I tripping balls right now?" Or did that <laughs> <Yeah. not> happen? <laughs> did that, did that really happened. I could have right sworn there was another guy here with me.
0: <laughs> maybe maybe another not. Another guy
1: with me just now.
0: But he wasn't important enough to have a name, so of
2: course he was a godder. Which, you know, at that point, why was he on the ship? Because only named people should be on the ship at this yeah. point. <laughs> Man, do you think that these
0: people's family get, like, their pay and all? Like, is there something for these people? Or is they just gone? Get it, like, like a, a,
2: They get, like, a bouquet of flowers saying sorry on yeah, it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> like, sorry, sorry. Your, your loved one was obliterated by a laser why, why from would you a get sentient on the Enterprise? computer.
1: You know the death rate of Enterprise is crazy over there. <laughs> yeah. Get on a different ship. Please, baby, we get in a ship. No, nah, babe, I like it. Come on. The death rate is three times normal on that ship. The other It'll ships okay. have to
0: be going through this, right? There's no way this is an be enterprise specific phenomenon. No this has got to be an enterprise specific. There's no way.
1: There's no way.
0: I mean, the other ones There's have no to way. be it's... encountering gods and things all the time, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Because if so, then that is a truly cursed ship, and I don't know why they made an even bigger one for the next generation. They're like, hey, you remember the Enterprise, the one that encountered so much shit that like you were, were constantly in trouble and people a lot of people died? Let's do another one. That's like making the Titanic two. Like, just don't.
2: <laughs> You're just asking for it. Yeah. Got what 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 if cursed ship is the most efficient of people not dying? Oh that's God. why he's never demoted. Like, well, you know, yeah. like, you get listen, a few people that die here and there, but it's not like yeah. the other ships. You lost 120 people this month, and that's real good compared to the other ones, so great work. <laughs> <laughs> you keep the being captain. Yeah.
0: So Kirk asks how long it'll be before uh, all of them simply get in the way. And Spock notes that the M5 is drawing power directly from the warp engines, and it's tapping power from the matter-antimatter reserves. Scotty says that it now has virtually unlimited power, so its power is maximum. Kirk leaves, and uh, he I, has Spock and Scotty follow him while Daystrom stays behind.
2: No, I was going to say, when that line was hit, I, that's where my mind jumped to while watching the episode. <laughs> His power is maximum. Maximum-er. maximum already yep.
0: So we're in a briefing room, and Scott Spock reports that the computer is drawing more and more power from the warp engines. And the computer now controls all helm, navigation, and engineering functions. And McCoy adds that it also controls communications and fire control. Kirk says that they need to regain control of the ship before they reach the War Games rendezvous point in an hour. And you know how hard it was for me to remember how to spell rendezvous for these notes? (laughs) I knew it was something (laughs) dumb, but I forgot it It's spelled like that.
1: I would do rendezvous. It's it's,
0: it's R-E-N-D-E-Z-V-O-U-S. And I knew, oh, a Z in there? Yeah, I knew it was close. Yeah, I knew it was close to that. I remember the Z and the V and the OUS. I just couldn't remember the the. It's basically rendezvous, Anyway, back to Star Trek. Uh, Spock proposes that they disrupt the helm navigation circuit relays in the engineering level three, and Scotty says that he can cut the manual override from there in about an hour with Spock's help. And Kirk tells him to make it less. And he and Spock then, uh, well, Scotty and Spock then leave. So McCoy asks where Daystrom is so he can go get him to help, and uh, Kirk says that he's watching the M5 unit, and Spock says that uh, of all people, Daystrom should have known how the computer would perform, but the M5 isn't behaving logically. And then uh, we go through a little bit later, and uh, Spock and Scotty are working in a really tight little workspace. They have like a like a, a tube that I think we saw Scotty working in one of these in like season one, maybe, and I was like, man, I want more tube
2: shots. Now we got yeah, them. But- They had to do something to the Enterprise uh, kind of similar to what they're doing now, like cutting power or redirecting power. Yeah, it wasn't when,
0: uh, uh, what's his name? One of the the crazy guy, not crazy guy, but like something happened, maybe the virus thing, and took over the ship. and like uh, His name wasn't like O'Brien, was it? Somebody took over a ship and he was singing over the intercom. I wonder if that was the episode. That seems like it was such a long time ago. Uh, But... McCoy confronts Daystrom in engineering, and uh, he asks if he's found a way to shut off the M5, and Daystrom says that you don't shut a child off when it's made a mistake. And he says that the M5 is growing and learning. And McCoy's like, yeah, it's learning to kill. Like, ooh, got him. <laughs> he's <laughs> like a child,
1: first of all. No, this ain't your kid, man. Come on, bro. Yeah. No, don't lose your mind.
0: Well, that's how we get, yeah, we get the insight into his current state of mind, is that to him, it is his kid. And I don't know about you, but I do shut my child off when he does something wrong. I just flip <laughs> the switch, and he shuts right down. Um, Daystrom says that uh, it's defending itself, which is a different thing, and he says that when a child is taught, it's programmed with simple instructions, and at some point it exceeds the sum of what it was taught and thinks independently. McCoy says that it's a danger to everyone, and he wants wants it shut off, but Daystrom just says that McCoy is frightened because he can't understand it. And he says he'll show everyone. And like, as soon as somebody says, I'll show you, I'll show you all, that's when you have to put them down. (laughs) Because that's the point when they've gone bad. They're officially a bad guy now. Like, I'll show you all. Okay, yep, you're the villain. You're done. (laughs) Uh, But he goes on to say that it takes 430 people to man a starship. So there we go, 430. And with the M5, you don't need anyone. One machine can do everything they send men out to do now. And men no longer need to die in space or on some alien world. And they can live and go on to achieve greater things than dying for galactic space, which is neither theirs to give nor take. And he says he doesn't want to destroy life, but he wants to save it. And that's kind of admirable. Like, I get that.
1: That's uh, one of those things where people uh do the worst things in achievement to do great things. There's some kind of quote in there. There's some kind of quote that I heard before about, yeah. you know, to do do something great, you have to do a great evil, or things like that, something like that.
0: The road to hell is paved with good intentions or something yeah. like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That,
1: that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, he just, he really wanted to save people, unfortunately, when he, he created a monster and the idea of saving people. So, I yeah. just, like, like, and I and I, I really like how it really gets to his motivation, too. Like, so now he's a real likable character. Like, not likable, but I mean, like, uh, understandable. You can, you, yeah, you can understand him, yeah. You, 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 you can, can understand
2: Oh no I was just going to say like you can tell that is uh what is it? his hubris is getting before uh uh what he actually should do.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of like uh without get to like Oppenheimer in a way where Oppenheimer helped create the nuclear bomb then he spent his own his own entire life becoming the nuclear uh, against nuclear uh stuff in general. Like you create something and then like you know you're so I want to say people say people say people say people, save people and then you realize that oh maybe I made a mistake here. And but but he don't really realize it, I think he made a mistake still though. Even toward the end, like he doesn't really apologize for what he's done. He gets there the in whole, the
0: end, but it's very brief.
1: Yeah, it's, it's so it's not really a good, it's not a huge revelation to me when he when it went toward the end.
0: Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, we get a shot of Scotty and Spock. They're just working in the tube, and then we go back to McCoy, and he finds Kirk and gives him a biographical tape of Doctor Daystrom. He says it doesn't really say much aside from the fact that Daystrom's a genius. Kirk says that at age 24, Daystrom made the, made the duotronic breakthrough that won him the Nobel and Z Magnes prizes. They, why can't why do they always have to make up some like alien sounding thing for these? Like the Nobel <laughs> prize is still fine. We don't need the Z Magnese prize. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's real, then I'm sorry, Z Magnes, whoever you are. Uh, McCoy notes that uh, it was over a quarter century ago. Kirk asks if that's enough for one lifetime. McCoy asks, "Well, where do you go from up?" and he says, "You'd spend the rest of your life trying to recapture past glory." McCoy's almost in defense of Daystrom here, which I thought was really weird. Maybe, maybe it came out as more defensive, and it was supposed to be more of like understanding him. Yeah, but that's it came how out. I kind of it, took he was more understanding. Yeah, yeah it came I, out I, I, almost I, I in a way it, that he's yeah.
1: defending him. No, I took, I took it, uh, I took it as in he was trying to give Kurt the motivations behind why he thinks that he's reacting the way he is. Yeah, I just think like, it
0: like, came out. He, wrong. He, he,
1: if you, if you have some great achievement as a kid, and then you're all, only known for that one great achievement, then how can you ever, you know, hence uh, Hayden Patterson, you know, uh, uh, Star, Star, Star Wars Boy. I can't remember his name. Hayden. Oh, Hayden like, Christensen. Yeah, played, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he played the, the, like an actor, like some child actors. They do that, that one, that one oh, role you're, as a Oh, you're
0: talking about the kid that played Anakin. I don't remember that kid's name. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Or something like that. Or like the you do that one Anakin. role. And, and child, actor in general. You yeah. know, you do that one role. It's so iconic, Harry Potter. <laughs> you know, like they went on one role so iconic or whatever. You spend your whole entire career trying to live up to the role that, and you can't get out the shadow of that one thing. But it hey. whole, your whole entire like I think, career, uh, so like, Daniel I can,
0: Daniel Radcliffe is not that way.
1: Let's not, let's not, get that one out. He, he's got there, but I mean, how long did it take him to get there though? He, a long time. he just Harry, he's not, he's not to go Potter. off
0: topic, but it's one of the things that uh, we talk it's about up. at work. He uh, was perfectly okay with his Harry Potter success and not ever getting that big again. And he took his Harry Potter money and lived comfortably and is able to do projects that he just enjoys now. So, like, he doesn't do anything to try to get super famous. He just takes stuff that he wants, like, that he enjoys.
1: Yeah, I'm just just saying there's certain people that... I don't know know if you've
0: ever seen Guns Akimbo, but that's an amazing movie.
1: I saw it. Yeah, Yeah, I have not. And and
0: he did that one because he wanted to, not because
1: he's trying to, like, be super Mm -hmm. famous because he still is. I only use that as example of certain like certain people trying to get out of the shadow of yeah, what they did originally. And then over time, they try to get out of the shadow. But, like, you know, sh- shadow, a lot of ch- I only use child actors. something. I think
2: it, Well, the sad thing is, like, dude, if you create Warp Drive, you've already attributed more to mankind than 99% of the people on the planet will ever do. So you're <laughs> yeah. golden.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, what else are you going to do after that, though? Well, you, you, you
2: don't. I mean, I, I get the. I the fact that you probably want to create more stuff, but uh, you create a warp drive. Like no he
1: one can wants, ever take that he away wants from to you.
0: Stay relevant. You get that taste of that fame, and then it <laughs> well, gets taken but away. That's, that's but true. if you listen to
1: that speech, he he says, and then people are getting are getting more famous than me, like whatever, using my technology. Like if you, he says something about like people are becoming more. Like big, you uh, like redoing the technology. He said something in there about that. I didn't get the word, the wording right. But he said like people yeah, we'll are becoming like well known by uh, you know technology. So, well,
2: yeah. you know, the, like Kirk can't come out and like every time he has a, like successful mission, like hey, if it wasn't for that guy, yeah, <laughs> every every yeah. I want to thank Doctor Daystrom for inventing the warp drive
0: <laughs> for the duotronics, <laughs> like. Uh, but Kirk wonders where McCoy is going with all this, and he says that genius doesn't work on an assembly line basis. And he says to ask Einstein or Kazanga or Citar of Vulcan and see if they produce new and revolutionary theories on a regular schedule. McCoy says that the government bought the M5 and Daystrom had to make it work, and he did, but it works illogically, according to Spock. Um, so he's kind of a Chow Tucker here, huh? <laughs> Dan, like... The government needs him to do this, this to repeat his past success, so he just transmutes his daughter and dog together. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> that's, that's what Daystrom is. Uh, I'm missing the yeah, reference he here. Yeah, he kind of is. a Full Metal Alchemist, yes. Uh, oh, okay. I haven't seen it all. i oh,
2: like, one episode. It's one of the most messed up scenes of all anime.
0: Um, Skirk notes that... Uh, Daystrom won't let Spock near the thing, and he asks if McCoy thinks that Daystrom is tampering with the unit and making it act the way that it is. But Bone says that if a man had a child who'd gone antisocial or killed, he'd still protect that child. Kirk says that Daystrom has McCoy talking about the machine like a personality, and McCoy says that he's afraid that that's how Daystrom thinks about it. Uh, Spock then calls Kirk to tell him that they're ready and they're all set, and Kirk tells them to get Daystrom and that he's going to be on his way. Uh, Daystrom meets Kirk and McCoy at the tube where Scotty and Spock are working and Spock explains that Scotty is ready to apply this circuit disruptor and then they do or he says when he does that uh, he'll trip the manual override into control. Daystrom uh, is upset and he tries to crawl into the tube and Kirk just like holds him back like grabs his <laughs> yeah. arm around Daystrom's neck. like hey, he didn't, he didn't really try that tube.
2: hard to hold him back either. He just kind of like grabs him and you're like, yeah. all right.
1: Yeah, like look, like, you can't fit fine, in that tube, bro. tall man.
2: You ain't getting there.
1: Yeah, he's 6'5". I don't know what he expected to do. He's huge. <laughs> it's like trying to
0: get into the play place at McDonald's. Like, you didn't get in there. <laughs> He just gets stuck. Um, Spock and Scotty complete their work, and Kirk calls Sulu on the bridge to tell him that they have Helm and the navigation control, and that he wants him to turn around and head back to the station. Sulu and Chekhov try to plot the course, but nothing's working. So Sulu tells Kirk that the Helm isn't responding and navigational control is still locked in by the M5. Spock tells Chekhov to go to the engineering station and check the H-279 elements and the G-95 systems. And Chekhov does, and he completely ignores the H-279 elements, but he does report that the G-95 system is dead and all the indicators are dark. Uh, Spock then tells Kirk that it appears that they've been doing what used to be called pursuing a wild goose. Uh, I believe he means a wild goose chase. And uh, M5 rerouted the helm and navigation controls uh, bypassing the primary system. Scotty says, well, it was active. Spock thinks that the M5 discovered their tampering and rerouted the controls, leaving uh, that one active by sending electrical impulses at regular intervals. McCoy says that it was a decoy, and the M5 wanted them to waste their time. So Kirk wonders why, and Spock says that he doesn't know because the computer isn't performing in a logical manner. So Kirk then tells Daystrom that he wants an answer, and he's tired of hearing about the M5's new approach. Spock says that the computer is acting with an almost human pattern. So Daystrom's like, all right, you got me. You're right. And he says he's developed a method of impressing human Ingrams upon this computer circuit.
2: So basically, uh, he, he uh, pulled a Hank Pym and cr- created an Ultron. I don't know Ultron. From Marvel? Oh, that Ultron. Okay. I yeah, it, that- oh, never mind.
0: I got that confused with... Uh, God, for some reason, I was thinking Voltron. I'm like, I don't know that either. Um, yes, <laughs> Ultron. Okay um yeah and i didn't i didn't i don't know about the whole ingram thing that they did here like i was okay with it just being like the computer is like entering a self preservation yeah like self-learning yeah. and self-preservation mode like i didn't need the whole like ah, i basically put my personality into this thing like okay like ciao tucker again like whatever um uhura calls kirk uh to the bridge And Kirk asks what's going on, and Uhura reports that sensors are picking up four Federation starships, and M5 is altering course to intercept. So Kirk thinks that it's the main attack force for the war games, and McCoy says the M5 doesn't know that it's a game. So Kirk says the four ships don't know that it's an M5 game, and the M5 is going to destroy them, and we go to commercial break. We come back, get a really cool shot of the four Federation starships moving towards the Enterprise, Um, It's sad that they all look the same, though. I get that it's mass—not mass-produced, but it's a a military vessel, and it's not like they're going to be all, you know, like customized and stuff. But I like kind of like the idea that the Enterprise is like the only one of the Enterprise. I understand it's not unique unique to itself. Yeah, I understand why it's not, but I don't know. Um, But Uhura can't connect or can't contact them because M5 is blocking all transmissions, and she gets an audio signal from the Lexington, and Kirk has her put it on. Commodore Wesley is heard informing the Enterprise that it's an M5 drill, and Uhura reports that M5 has acknowledged the signal. So Kirk asks Daystrom if M5 understands that it's only a drill, and Daystrom says that it was programmed to understand. Um, He goes on to say that the ore ship was a miscalculation and an accident. So then Chekov reports that the deflector shield turned on and they're increasing speed to warp four. And Sulu reports phasers are locking onto the lead ship and that they're at full strength. And uh, McCoy... Starts to say uh, what will happen if it fires at unshielded ships, but Kirk cuts him off and he just starts yelling at Daystrom and he's like, That's not a miscalculation. So Spock then <laughs> reports uh, that the attack force is closing rapidly and breaking formation. Sulu reports that the phasers are firing. So the Enter- Enterprise fires at Lexington and then we go over to the Lexington's bridge and we see them getting jolted around and Spock uh, reports a hit on the Lexington. We go back and Wesley is shown just kind of wondering out loud. He's like, What is Kirk doing? And then he asks for a dammer's report and he starts making helm and course reju- adjustments. And this is, for me, really well built tension in this scene and like the upcoming scenes. Like the music was good, the pacing was really good. And this just makes me want to see a full on ship versus ship battle where you get to bounce like back and forth between the bridges of both ships. Cause like I really like, you know, people calling everything out like the course adjustments and you know that they're firing and they're locked on and all this stuff like i really enjoy didn't that stuff in the show. it happened once
1: didn't it happen when we fought the Romulans.
0: it was short and it was not quite it wasn't what i'm looking for like i really like the way that uh both of these ships operate like with just like calling out you know course adjustments and locking on and like phasers and all of that good stuff. i don't know i just really like it and i, I want more like ship to ship
2: battles with views from both bridges well, in the lead up to the 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 battle, the pacing, like you said, was done very well.
1: I I agree. I agree. I was just asking. I remember that in, it showed that inside the Romulan ship when they of the Romulans. So I could not remember if it was a uh, like that or not. Yeah, it wasn't quite like. Didn't have. I don't. I don't feel like
0: it didn't have this tension, and it didn't have. Like just the busyness to it that I enjoy. Like I don't like they're just when they're just kind of sitting there like firing and being fired at. Like I like there to be things happening. Like I like sounds and I like people talking and like just like the battle chatter of stuff is what I really enjoy. So I would I would like to see more of that. Uh, But Chekhov reports their maneuvers as Kirk gets an estimated damage report on the Lexington from Spock, and Spock reports that. A hit to the Lexington's engineering section with possible damage to their impulse engines, but he says that it can still maneuver on warp drive. So Sulu announces that they're firing again, and Spock reports another direct hit on the Excalibur. Chekhov says that they're closing in on the Lexington again, and the Hood and uh, Potemkin are moving off, which are the other two ships. So you have the Lexington, Excalibur, Hood, and Potemkin. Uh, Sulu reports that the Phasers are firing again, and Spock reports another hit on the Lexington. So Kirk tells Daystrom that there has to be a way to get the M5, but Daystrom says that it's fully protected itself. Uh, Uhura gets visual contact with the Lexington, and she puts it up on the screen. And Commodore Wesley tells Kirk to break off the attack, and he says that they have fifty-three dead and twelve more on the Excalibur. So like that thing is messing them up.
1: Yeah, and uh, and I like how they, uh, they uh, literally announced the stakes right there, so you really knew, like, oh, this thing is killing people, like for real, for real.
0: Yeah. Just blasting because they're unshielded at that point. So it's just full on hits to their hull.
1: And a lot, But a lot of times this happens and you know, they're like, oh, it's like a minimal damage type thing or like a people aren't really getting hurt. Yeah. And then, you know, yo, 50 people just died from what this this thing did.
2: Yeah. Well, like, and one of the video calls from them, you can actually see someone in the background, like having someone like they're being picked up and they're carrying them. Yeah. Get, that,
0: get this trash off the bridge. Couldn't even survive long <laughs> enough.
2: Like, get him out of here. Take him to the incinerator.
0: <laughs> Um, So Kirk then turns to Uhura but uh, she can't override the M5 interference and Wesley pleads for Kirk to answer as Kirk grabs Daystrom and tells him that he's like there's your murder charge which again you know we talk about that we don't have to talk about it again but he says that the M5 is killing men and women and there are four starships with 1600 people Uh, Daystrom says that it misunderstood as he's just like
2: it was just a misunderstanding That's one hell of a misunderstanding.
0: (laughs) Like, sorry, I accidentally murdered. Shot you. Yeah. I I misunderstood what was going on. Uh, You can hear Wesley uh, continuing to plead for Kirk to break off the attack. At which point, like at what point do you turn on your shields, I guess, after you've been shot three times? you (laughs) Maybe switch those on.
1: What do you Uh, mean shot three times?
0: Well, they've, they've the, the Excalibur ships. has been hit. Yeah, three times. Yeah. I think I, three times I, I at this point. I assume that
1: his his shots destroyed the shields. I assume his first no, they, first they shot, came in unshielded. Oh uh, yeah, but they came in unshielded. I assume that his first shot destroyed the shield generator thing because he he's smart enough to think think of that.
0: No, the only the, the only damage that they suffered was to the uh, warp drives, and they can okay. st- or no, it's the impulse engines, and they can still use their warp, warp drives. Um, So Chekov reports that the uh, Excalibur is moving away, but the Enterprise is increasing speed to follow. And then Sulu reports more phasers locked on and more firing, which this thing is just going to town. Uh, We get a shot of the Enterprise firing on the Excalibur, and then the Excalibur just kind of starts to float. Like, it's, it's pretty much dead. Just, like, starts to turn to the side a little bit, and it's a goner um daystrom says that uh he really doesn't know how to get to the m5 so spock talks about how daystrom impressed human ingrams on the computer circuits and Chekhov meanwhile announces that their new course is to go after potemkin and then sulu reports another phaser hit so this thing's just like fired on three of the four shifts so far kirk asks daystrom uh whose ingrams he's used and daystrom's like well they were my own like who else is what he use? just grab a random guy off the street and <laughs> here, i want <laughs> computer i want you to act like this man uh would would the ship like would the M five be different if they use Kirk's Ingrams?
2: Uh it'd be going to uh what was the planet that yeah, had uh, Rig- sexy Rigley's, green women? Like, it just would never leave, <laughs> yeah, it just would never leave there, just be permanently docked. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Daystrom says, yeah, that he used his own and Spock thinks that Daystrom could talk to the M five since it would have no reason to believe that Daystrom would try to harm it. And Kirk agrees and he says that Daystrom spoke to it before and that the machine should know him. So Ahuah is then picking up a transmission from the Lexington to Starfleet Command, and she plays it. And uh, you hear Commodore Wesley, he says that all ships were damaged in an unprovoked attack. The Excalibur, Captain Harris, and First Officer are dead, and there are many casualties, and they have suffered damage, but they're able to move. He reports that the Enterprise is refusing to answer, but it's continuing to attack, and he has an effective battle force, and he believes that the only way to stop the Enterprise is to destroy it, so he requests permission to proceed. And Daystrom is uh, upset that they would destroy the M5. And Kirk tells him that he can save it by talking to it and getting it to stop the attack. And Daystrom's like, oh, yeah, maybe I should try that. So Daystrom goes to the computer and he talks to the M5. And he tells it that its attack on the starships is wrong and it must stop. And McCoy is talking to Kirk and he says that he doesn't like the sound of Daystrom. And Kirk's like, well, he better pray that the uh, M5 listens to the sound of him. The M5 tells Daystrom that its programming includes protection against attack and enemy vessels must be neutralized. Daystrom argues that they're not enemy vessels and that they're murdering human beings of their own kind. Like, this is the point where he's like, you can see him start to turn because he's like, you're murdering. And then he's like, no, we're murdering. <laughs> like, we, we're
2: murdering people of our own kind. Is this the royal we that you're trying to use? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, no, I think that, that at that moment you realize that, like, he he's considers the... AI part of him. Well, here's where he screwed up because he should not
0: have said we, and now they're going to use that against him in court. Should have just <laughs> stuck with you, yeah. maintained that the, sh- the ship was doing, like the M5 was doing everything on it all on its own and that he had no, no part in it. Now he's basically no, admitted guilt. So he's going away for life. we going away for life. But he tells the M5 that it's not created for that purpose, and he says that it's his greatest creation, and it's a unit to save men, and it must not destroy them. But the M five says that it must survive. And Daystrom tells it that it has to protect itself, yes, but not to murder. And he says that the M five must not must not die, and men must not die. And he says that to kill is a breaking of civil and moral laws they live for by lived by for thousands of years. He says they murdered hundreds of people, and he wonders how they could possibly repay that. And the M 5s just like, Well, they attacked me. <laughs>
1: so <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't literally did nothing. Right, they were they just, just there. They just were there, yeah. <laughs> No, no, they they came in attack pattern. They, those the, those ships came together, and it was a mock attack. They were coming they to attack him. So yes, two of those ships
0: did attack him earlier, and then left. Yeah, so yeah, they were
1: they were coming to attack him. Okay, to attack okay. him. That's what he thought. Yeah, he didn't just do. Did, this It's unprovoked. It's not unprovoked. That this was drill. Unprovoked. Therefore, <laughs> the they the they were coming in attack unprovoked. pattern. So he assumed they were attacking. Yeah. It's not. This ain't unprovoked. Like yo, bro. Like this is. They, they were coming at me. I didn't know they were joking. Was the freighter I don't, I don't in the like attack games. pattern when, when the <laughs> ship went after it? Yeah, I'm just saying it. if somebody walked up to me and, and put a fist up like they're about to swing at me and I don't know them, I might have to swing first because I'd be like, yo, I thought you were joking. I don't <laughs> He's like, Bro, was oh, scratching joking? my eye, damn. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, I didn't know you were joking, you got knocked out, sir. Like I apologize, but I thought you were gonna attack me. Oh, this is just a prank video. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just a prank, bro it's <laughs> a prank as bro sorry the M5 gets a hold of Wesley he's like it's just a prank bro <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like no when are not playing that game like no, nah, this ain't a prank video time you came at me the wrong way sir uh, but as they uh, as, as the M5 and Daystrom talk uh, Kirk
0: calls to Spock and he calls him over he's like hey let's talk shit about this guy and uh, <laughs> he tells Spock that the M5 is talking to Daystrom instead of responding to him like a computer and Spock says that he's pretty impressed by it and Daystrom has created a mirror image of his own mind so Daystrom is still just reinsuring the M5 that it's going to survive, and he starts to monologue about all the hard work and that he had to do and all the things he went through to get where he is. And I paraphrased all that because this was already getting long anyway.
2: I, well, what's that part of my head? Uh, uh, I think I believe it was like Jim Carrey, like Ace Venture, like, why don't you cry about it? Yeah. <laughs> and again, this is another one of those things. Okay, Earlier,
0: I'll show you all. And now this one, all of my hard work and the things I went through. Like, stop this man here. Like he is the villain. That's two signs that he's a villain. <laughs> Next, he's gonna tell you that you're either with him or you're against him. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you have to put a stop to this.
1: He's not the villain, okay? Yeah.
0: He's like, My, he my M5 has provided peace, justice, and security to my new empire. <laughs> you gotta shut him down. <laughs> Uh, mccoy says that daystrom is on the edge of a nervous breakdown if not insanity kirk then approaches daystrom and he's like it's crazy because like i feel like daystrom's making a little progress over here he's like look we're not going to destroy you like you're not going to die but you can't do this like i feel like he's on the right course kirk just comes up and blows that out of the water he's like hey you got to destroy this thing and i feel like the m5 could probably hear that (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. he just completely goes backwards because all that progress that daystrom was making but Daystrom argues against it, and he says that uh, they're invincible. Again, you got to kill them. And he says they've crushed four mighty starships as if they were toys. And then he grabs Kirk, and Spock's like, uh-uh, no touchy. And he does the uh, Vulcan nerve pinch and just like renders him unconscious. He says we a lot, too.
1: Yes. Like, he, just, he, he says we a lot. We, we, we. I expect he, he him to also put on like the... a
0: helmet that makes him control the M5 or something. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he,
2: he, Spock also does the hold on... Uh... Wesley for a long time too, like he yeah, just said personal. Like...
1: Yeah, I, I like his reaction though too. He's like, oh. like you know, like uh, the, yeah. the the movie Kung Fu Panda. The, I'm a big big reference of it. The, this, the, 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 the he's putting like little needles in, the, in his back, and he hits him the wrong the wrong thing, and somebody, like does a reaction. This is like if you look at this guy's reaction when he gets a nerve pinch, like it's like his whole body like locked up. It, it is so incredibly awesome. It is the most like ridiculous. Like, most people they like fall out, but yeah. his body like it like jerked in a weird position and like froze. It's hilariously funny. Like, <laughs> it, it's funny. But so I was like, oh crap, I think I tripled him. Yeah,
2: whoops, yeah, just, <laughs> that's a lawsuit. He does this whole like, he, <laughs> he's not used to uh, like putting this uh, the pinch on people that are way bigger than him. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, for real, his reaction to get pitched is just a funny like reaction. His whole body goes in lock. <laughs> it's funny. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, so uh. So Kirk has uh, Daystrom taken to the sick bay, and then Kirk asks for a battle status, and Sulu tells him that uh, the other three ships are holding out of range. And he reports that the Excalibur looks like it's dead, and they watch on the screen, it's just kind of like floating away. Uh, Uhura says that Lexington is receiving a message from Starfleet, and so she puts it on. And uh, a man is heard authorizing the battle group to use all measures available to destroy the Enterprise, and Wesley's like, all right, let's go do this thing. So Kirk says that they've signed their own death warrant because M5 is going to kill them to survive. Spock says that every living thing wants to survive and Daystrom must have impressed that instinctive reaction onto the computer. Kirk wonders if the computer is still open to impression and he wonders if it absorbed any of the regret that Daystrom felt for the deaths that it caused, which I don't think he seemed too regretful until like the last few seconds before he got rendered unconscious.
1: <laughs> he still didn't regret it. He, he, when he got when he got um, the, the pinch, he was, he was going on a yeah. rant. Yeah. He's saying, a, we he just destroyed he some like of your
0: minor ship. Re- regret and then followed by like a surge of just like feeling powerful. He,
1: he was like, <laughs> he, he was like we, we, we destroyed four years, you mighty ships. Like they have nothing on us. Like we, yeah. like he, he did not care that much. No. The only thing he cared about was the embarrassment of what was going on. He, like, he was like, he didn't care at all. And no. when he got pitched, he didn't care. So Chekhov reports that the, uh,
0: ships are coming within range and, Spock says that Commander Wesley is a dedicated commander, and he's going to regret serving aboard the instrument of his death. And I'm like, damn, dude, (laughs) like, (laughs) writing him off already. (laughs) Like, geez. (laughs) Uh, Kirk says that the instrument of Wesley's death won't be the Enterprise if he can help it, and he starts talking to the M5. He tells the computer that uh, it's going to be under attack in a moment, and he says that it's already rendered one starship dead or hopelessly crippled, and many lives were lost. The M5 says that the ship's attacked it first and that it has to survive. Kirk says, why? So he goes into, like, toddler mode here. And it says, uh, the M5 says that it must go out on to replace man so man doesn't risk death in space or other occupations. And it must survive so man can be protective. Kirk reports uh, the attack force is almost within phaser range. So Kirk uh, tells the M5 that the men aboard the ships were murdered and asks the M5 if it, if it must survive by murder. And the M5 says that it cannot murder. So Kirk says, why? The M5 says that murder is contrary to the laws of man and God. I don't know why we had to bring God into this, but here we are. Uh, Kirk says that it has murdered, and he tells it to scan the Excalibur uh, that it destroyed and see if there's life on board. The M5 says that there's no life, and Kirk's like, that's because you murdered it! So Kirk then asks what the penalty for murder is, and the M5 says the penalty for murder is death. And I would have thought by this time in the future, capital punishment would have been gone. We're not no. quite an enlightened community, but I feel like <laughs> this time in the future they would have been like, "Yeah, we're not going to do that. Like, we're not nah. going to put people to death. We'll just put you on like a planet somewhere to have you work or something." Or there has nah, to be like not for an eye, like re rehab people. Nah, I just feel everybody like are you, be, are you talking about like a,
2: a, a, a space Australia where there's just a planet full of prisoners?
0: <laughs> 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 I, I feel like we would have been like at this point where we're you know traveling the galaxy and. Meeting beings and all this stuff, I feel like humanity would have moved towards more human rehabilitation than uh, vengeance, I guess. But I mean,
2: I guess not.
3: That's
1: not vengeance. That's justice. That's different things, sir. Well,
2: we saw how that worked in what Aliens Three on the the space prison. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: (laughs) I just thought in this in this specific universe where you know it's. Supposed to be more like progressive, and everybody's you know happy and well, not happy, but you know it's striving for a better humanity. I thought that in this specific mm-hmm. universe, like the death penalty would not have existed anymore. Nope, humans be
2: humans. Yep, we nah. do be we do, we do be that. Man, nah, they gotta go.
0: Uh, but Kirk asks how the M five will pay for its act of murder, and. M5 says that it must die, and then it just shuts down. <laughs> so it's like, you know what? You're right. <laughs>
3: you're right. I gotta go. <laughs> you're right.
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm done now. Which Check. you know, it's kind of funny. When it, it's kind of funny in like Star Trek, it always comes down to like some type of like logic, like, oh, you're going against your own programming. Yeah. Like you like. Yeah. Kirk can just go over there and just hit the computer, like, stop it, stop it. <laughs> yeah, this is like his
0: fourth time doing this too. Like. He should be well-prepared. Anytime that he has to deal with what's supposed to be a super smart computer, he should just immediately do this because he knows where this is going to go.
2: I'm actually surprised <laughs> Kirk doesn't hate technology at this yeah. point. Yeah, just absolutely. Or like, no, not not another one. <laughs> That's why that, that, that red uh, alarm was going off the back of his head, like, wait a minute. Yeah. I, we've been here before. <laughs>
0: yeah, several times.
2: But Chekhov reports that their
0: deflector shields have dropped and Sulu reports that their phaser power is gone. And Spock says that the M5 is leaving itself open to t- to attack and that it's committing suicide to atone for the sin of murder. Kirk tells Spock and Scotty to go to engineering and pull out every hookup that makes the M5 run before it changes its mind. And then he tells Ahura to use the intership communications. So Kirk gets in his chair and he addresses the small crew left on board the Enterprise. He says that in about one minute they're going to be attacked by Federation starships. And the M5 is no longer in control of the ship, but they don't have control of it either. He says the M5 has left itself and them open to destruction and that their 19 lives will buy the survival of over 1,000 of their fellow starship crewmen. So the attack of force um, approaches the Enterprise as Wesley announces that their phasers are on target. And then Spock calls Kirk and tells him that the force field is gone and that the M5 has been completely neutralized. Scotty says that he can get them power to the shields, but Kirk wants power to communications instead. And Scotty says that that's going to take them longer. So Kirk is just like, eh, screw it, cut power, keep the shields down. Scotty's like, uh, sir? (laughs) Uh, What? (laughs) (laughs) So we go to the Excalibur, and Wesley notes that the Enterprise looks dead. And he says he's going to take the chance that it's not a trap. And he commands the attack force to hold their fire and break off the attack. And then that's it. Like, the whole ordeal is over. So we go a little later... McCoy is explaining. Well, they they're in sick bay, and it's they, like standing over Daystrom. And McCoy explains that Daystrom will have to be committed to a total rehabilitation program, and he's currently under sedation and heavy restraints. And Spock says that the M5 is basically in the same condition. And Kirk, this is one of my favorite parts of this because Kirk's like, "Yeah, it's exactly the situation I was hoping for when I forced the M5 to realize that it had committed murder like this. <laughs> this is exactly what you were hoping for." <laughs> Uh, he says that Daystrom felt such an act was uh, against the laws of God and man and that computer or the computer that carried his Ingrams also believed it. Spock asks why Kirk thought that the other ships wouldn't fire when they saw the Enterprise apparently vulnerable. And he says that logically that's the sort of trap the M5 would have set for them. And I don't agree with that. I, I didn't either. So we have the M5 computer, clearly superior in its capabilities, taking on a force of four Immediately disables one, hits the other three. Like this thing is on the winning side of an engagement. Why would it resort to playing possum? Trickery.
2: Yeah, yeah I, I agree with you on that. But Kirk says uh, that
0: he wasn't sure, and any other commander would have simply followed orders and destroyed it. But he knew that Bob Wesley, or he knew Bob Wesley, and he was gambling on his humanity. So then they get in the turbo lift and they go to the bridge. As Kirk says that Wesley's logical selection was compassion. McCoy says that that's one thing the machines never had, and maybe that's the one thing that keeps men ahead of machines. And he asks Spock, he's like, do you care to debate that? And Spock's just like, no. <laughs> like, why, why do you got to be this way? Like, why are you always looking for a fight? <laughs> he says that uh, he maintains that computers are more efficient than humans, but they're not better. McCoy asks which one of those Spock would rather have around. Spock says he thinks that McCoy's question is to make him choose between machines and humans, but he uh, thinks he's already sufficiently answered that question. And McCoy's like, oh, I was just trying to make conversation. And Spock says that it would be interesting to impress McCoy's engrams on a computer because the resulting flood of illogic would be entertaining. <laughs> so they get to the bridge and Kirk just kind of chuckles and he orders Sulu to take them back to the station and then they just continue on. And uh, Paul, you want to start us off with your thoughts on this one?
1: uh yeah cool um i like it a lot honestly um i don't have any issue with episode except i think that i there's one the episode is a nine out of ten like a 9.5 out of ten i only give a 0.5 marker for this one thing instead of saying murder i wish they would have said take life like like his object is to complete all subjectives without like taking life like I think you would, I I like the concept of the whole idea, but an object because like when you say murder, that, that that it means you intentionally try to kill somebody, as we know that. So like I I get it, like like um I'm assuming back then people weren't like let's go with like advanced with knowledge of law, maybe some murder was like oh kill take life for them, but I particularly as I've gotten older and and I'm smarter, I know that murder means intentional, like with intention, more than manslaughter. So um, it was a pretty good episode. Uh, liked it a lot. I did put a note that um, you mentioned something about not liking human Ingram things about the computer. I think you actually need that because as uh, AI has progressed in a lot of the stories, they're always like, a lot of movies too, they're always like trying to make the AI brain work like human brains. Because our our. Our, our brains are more complex. So a lot of times they'll like put that in there where like, oh, well we we'll make it think more like a human brain where it can be more complex, complex thinking or whatever. A lot of times, a lot of stuff kind of like, uh, like I robot, for instance, I, I, like I robot where they had the, they had the rules. Then they had that one, they had the wrong robot that could break the rules. Even though they are not supposed really to break the rules, you know? So like, uh, thinking like a human, uh, I thought it was smart. Um, I don't like that. I just think it was cleverly done, especially the AI stuff for their time like what a what a smart it's done very very smart uh of future thinking of AI and i did see a note that uh i read that i want to see that uh this was like a, they consider M5 one of the best villains of of Star Trek <laughs> oh really uh, on, yeah and and it also uh said it's like one of the top 10 episodes that have to do with AI in general like like uh AI <clears throat> AI in general like they just thought it was very, very clever, especially for the time. You got to remember that this was like before, like us looking at this now, like, oh, this is common for us to see in TV shows. And it's kind of right. But to think they're, they're forward thinking of this is really cool. So I really appreciate it. It was fun. Um, I don't know. It's I don't know
0: if I would consider the M5 a, a villain and more just an antagonist. Like, I think yeah. villains do things for nefarious purposes, knowing that they're doing bad things. And the M5 is just doing what it was programmed to do. Yeah, like it. It didn't have like intent. It just did. Uh, it's just 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 a slight, you know, thing to argue there. Oh, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it
1: just. But, they, they, said villain, they said they, they <clears throat> excuse me. They said villain on here. I just said villain. I didn't. I didn't think that far ahead. I just thought it was very. It was. Uh, um, clever.
0: Yeah. Uh, my personal uh, thoughts on this episode is that I agree. First of all, with your. uh, your point about the whole murder thing, I could have just said that it killed like murder just seemed like it was unnecessary. Um, the Ingram thing I think was just also unnecessary. Like, I don't, I don't think it was needed. I think it's like on top of an already good episode, you don't have to keep adding on to it. And that's one of the issues that this series has is that they reach like what I think is the peak of the episode. And then they try to take it one step further. And it's just always like, ah, like you you could have done without that. Like it didn't hurt the episode, but I think it would have been absolutely fine without it. I don't think it was entirely necessary. Um, But I do think that the ending scenes of this episode were the weakest part. And I'm actually really disappointed in the end of this episode because you just watched... Like a bunch of people get slaughtered, like a bunch of your side get slaughtered. And you're joking at the end of the episode, like, Haha, well, you know, robots and people <laughs> and you move on to your next thing. And it's like, I feel like yeah. it should have been more somber. Like you just watch an entire ship's worth of people get killed, plus many others on other ships. Like that's a kind of harrowing thing. Like you were not in control of that situation at all. You're on board this killing machine that's thinking for itself and killing all of your like maybe not your friends but like your allies. And at the end of it, you're just like, well, you know,
2: that's Tuesday, and you just you just <laughs> keep going. Well, and there's would've... only been like what one or one. two episodes yeah, where one somber. somber one yeah. at the very ending. That, at the that end. was the that yeah. was
1: the uh, Adam Neve one with the guns and everything. That's the one somber one we've had.
2: Yeah, even when
0: Kirk's like. In the past, Love got hit by a truck in front of him. The end of that episode was so like, well, you know, it happens. There's,
2: there's more fish in the sea. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> as, as we've seen, that's true. But still, like, I, I would have, I would have gone for a more somber ending of this one. Like, there was some real damage done there. Well, like, well, there's like some real 50 people died. That's a lie. I mean, on the entire one ship died. So that's 430 right there. We're dead on the one ship. They, scanned they, it, did, and they said there were no it life. Forms. the ship. Yeah, they he had the M five scan it, and the M five said that there were no life no life forms detected on that ship.
1: Which is which I thought was weird because I didn't see the ship blow up. I just saw the ship float away.
0: You know what? And I'm glad about that because they don't always have to just explode. Like you can kill the power to that ship and the life support systems, and everyone on on board of that is going to be dead. Like they don't, the yeah. ship does, it doesn't need to explode. Like a, well, that, a couple of that, well-placed putting, like, shots is going to render that thing in, incapable of doing anything. Well, just that's, that's part of, the of all issue the ship with would, uh, when he says Yeah.
1: Uh, Kurt's reaction to what happened to the ship was so extreme. I didn't know that he destroyed everybody on the ship until after he asked that question. So they didn't do a good enough job with like, yo, he just destroyed that ship. That's why I wanted the explosion if they were going to do that. Because his flow going to be like, oh, my God, he destroyed the whole ship. Like, yeah. I only thought he damaged that ship. So I didn't realize he, had, he had did that much damage until this later on. So Kurt's, like, big, big, like, emotional response to that I thought right. was weird. Now I understand, like, talking to you now, thinking about, like, oh, he destroyed the whole ship. I only saw it float away. Yeah, and we did see it kind of, like, turn
0: to the side and float. and You could just assume that it was disabled, but all of the crew were alive. Um, yeah. But, I mean, honestly, I'm okay with I think I would rather have it not explode because everything doesn't need to explode. Like the visual well, is good well, and it immediately probably, tells you that everybody's yeah. dead. But as long as they confirmed it later and they did, then I'm okay with it. But yeah, pretty yeah, much.
1: Not explode. Just some kind of uh, some kind of like some visual a, to tell some you. Visual, let me know that there was some some major going on or even right. like the power shutting down on the ship. Something that like something that we could see. That'd be oh okay. What's going on? So yeah, I'm I, yeah. I mean, I guess you could
0: ask for more out of it. I'm okay with what it was because, like I said, they let us know through dialogue that yep, everybody on there is dead. But uh, yeah, like I said, I loved the episode. The pacing was amazing. Like the cinematography was really good. A lot of really really good dialogue in this episode. I'm just a little bit disappointed by the end of it, but it does not hurt my overall enjoyment of the episode.
2: And uh, now I'm gonna give it to Dan. I I I use. Both of you guys and what you said about the episode, really enjoyed it. I I, I would say that this is probably the best, well paced episode that they've done so far. Like at no point where I feel like really they're making like too big of like of jumps of trying to escalate. It was like a slow burn until the very end. Yeah. So I I thought it was done really well.
0: Yeah. And then the other thing, not not to keep going, but. The series routinely struggles with uh, build, 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 and then the end has to happen in, like, two and a half minutes. And that did not happen with this episode, and that's no, one of the things it, that it, I really liked
2: about it. The, the 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 fighting and, like, the buildup of, like, oh, are they going to shoot or not, that was probably a good, what, the last ten minutes? Yeah.
0: And then, like, the conclusion, like, you know, them defeating the... the uh, uh, antagonist wasn't it didn't happen in like 35 seconds they, they actually took some time to work out you know the solution to this this problem which they don't normally do so I, I do appreciate that as well um, but if you guys don't have anything else for this one our don't next know. one is going to be season 2 episode 25 bread and
1: circuses Spock and McCoy are forced to fight in Roman light games Ooh, dun, dun, dun. I'll be
2: excited Spock for this one. Fox and
1: McCoy, damn, yeah,
2: that's gonna be a good one. Because so, those two never is, is, do anything. Well, is McCoy, McCoy gonna inject them physical. with some stuff to like, like, get them all jacked? <laughs> yeah. no. <laughs> some yeah.
1: that'll be interesting. Uh, one note I did read that I forgot to mention that they they said uh, last episode, this episode was uh, one of McCoy's best episodes of the of uh, the whole entire Star Trek thing. Like, I can see that they really commended his acting for that for that. Uh, episodes so I want to mention that yeah
0: you know, I can get behind what? that yeah uh, deForest Kelly was was really good in this um but yeah so that's it for this one um as always Twitter at wwst underscore podcast um and we will see you guys on the next episode
2: later later.